Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Tuesday morning, May 30th, 843-661-0937 is our number. Good morning, No Shot Josh. Good morning. Good morning, Royal Rev of Radio. Good morning. Is everybody um, recharged, rejuvenated, um, rehabilitated, uh, ready to roll after a long weekend? Oh, that was the goal? Celebrating Memorial <laughs> Day? Um, oh, but the weather sucked. No. Oh, but the weather really, yeah. really, really sucked. Um, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday was a washout down at the beach. Got a bit of a um a reprieve yesterday, but not um. Uh, you're you're ready to kind of head back to the old normal routine of um takes Tuesdays to make to make Fridays <laughs> in this case. Now I'm here's here's what I'm optimistic about. You ready? Um, I mean I don't mind working. I mean I in fact I enjoy work. I don't enjoy the alarm going off at four thirty in the morning. I never will, never have. Um, but you get up and you roll. Here's what I get excited about. So, programming note, Rev and I will not be here again next Monday. I mean, we've got a, um, Rev's got to go down to Florida and um, take care of his mom. And I told him, I said, hey, man, th- there's, a, there's a weekend, not Memorial Day related, that, that I need a day off. I need a long weekend to take care of some things that I have been uh, putting off. So, we're kind of coordinating between our mutual schedules. But then, just around the corner, I mean, we're going to be deadbeats here. Just around the <laughs> corner, we've got the week of July the 4th. Right, that's true, and, uh, and, and and that's traditionally a holiday for the show. Well, I mean, the thing your vacation, yeah. But but here's my concern, and uh, just level with you, we're not real good at this, and I don't want to be true. Wally Pip. I mean, I, I don't want to be Wally Pip. Wally Pip took a day off for a headache, and Lou Gehrig played first base for the Yankees, and Wally Pip never played first for the Yankees again, and Lou Gehrig played, I think, what two thousand some odd consecutive games at first. I don't want to do that. I don't want to not be here. And somebody realized, I don't really miss those guys. You know, I mean, they're not that good at what they do um, anywhere. a chance you take. Yeah, it is a, a, a chance you take. We just don't take that chance very often. But, um, I mean, obviously yesterday was Memorial Day. And, I mean, it, without question, I mean, we perceive that holiday as a day to, you know, barbecue and drink a cold beer and, um, you know, enjoy a long weekend. But but rather it's, um, I think we did a good enough job Friday reminding people that's not what Memorial Day weekend is about. It's about those who paid the ultimate sacrifice. Um, I saw a lot of tributes um, on Facebook and Twitter and, um, and and around the areas I was in. So let's not lose sight of that. Um, a moron with a radio show doesn't happen anywhere except in the good old U.S. of A. And it's because, I mean, as cliche as it sounds, some gave all. Some gave every um, everything they've ever had to give, including their very life, to um to allow morons to host radio shows and all of us to get up and have another three day weekend um just around the bend and it seemed that uh, you know people do remember and of course uh, we do enjoy the long weekend away from work for most people of course but um I, I did think I watched a lot of sports and there were a lot of tributes and remember did the Braves the reason, win uh the, well the Braves did not win did they play last a major night. league baseball team last night <laughs> barely barely okay. right and they lost Oakland they did they did but but see Has, now here you talk about uh, or, is, My that the, is that the only team the Athletics have beat this year? <laughs> Probably one of the very few, I guess. I think they've won nine or attention. ten baseball games all but year. The Braves beat the Phillies, really beat them bad over the weekend, one game for sure. Yeah. Um, but then, see, here's here's the excuse. So they played Sunday night baseball on ESPN, so it was a late game on Sunday, and then they flew to California, to Oakland, and from what I read, they, they got in about 3 a.m., Pacific time, which would have been 6 a.m. Eastern time, and then up playing a, a not an early game, but a mid-afternoon game, California time. Oh, 
So, did but, they? but they lost. They okay. got the L. To the Athletics. Yeah, they did. Who I think were 10 and yeah. 45. And, and Mike Soroka, this was his first game back in over 1,000 days. He has been injured and he, he came did back he, did he pitch okay he pitched good yeah okay. i mean other other than that he, he allowed a three-run homer and that was kind of the difference but uh he he pitched pitched okay okay the braves were 15 and four at the beginning of the season they're 10 games over 500 now that means since the run to start the season they're one game under 500 sounds about right okay but they're Thank still one of the better that advantage yeah, that's right they built a big lead and kind of the opposite of last year they started True. slow last year True. and had to catch a team, uh, the Mets. They chased the Mets down um, last year. Speaking of baseball, I think most South Carolinians are not paying much attention to the Braves, but rather, let's do this right. You ready? The Tigers, who are the highest rated or highest seeded team in the college baseball playoffs. The Shonaclears. <laughs> they, they, they win the ACC championship? They, they, they won the ACC, yeah. They, they, um, they're they're the you know tallest of the short crowd. But anyway, um. <laughs> getting there with baseball. I think uh, the SEC had 10 teams make the playoff or tournament. The ACC had eight teams. And then you've got a few others here and there, you know, scattered around. But, but let's do this the, the correct way. Mm-hmm. So the Tigers are a national eight seed. Remember the conversation that we had about the Gamecocks. The, the Gamecocks were 30 and four. And then they weren't. <laughs> right. And I think they went, what, four and 13 in the last 17 games or something ridiculous. Massive collapse. Like that. But baseball is a temperamental, finicky sport. So the Tigers are a national seed. They're one of eight teams that will host the regional and super regional. Congratulations, begrudgingly, um, to the Tigers. They stayed the course. Gamecocks started hot. Tigers finished strong. Um, the Shonaclears are hosting a regional um, down in Conway or the beach. And then the Gamecocks are the 15 seed hosting a regional at Founders Park in Columbia. Um, I think Clemson is matched up. Tennessee, if I'm not mistaken, is the two seed in their region. Campbell, I think, is the two seed in the uh, in the Columbia Regional. I don't know who the two seed is at um at Coastal, but um but congratulations to those three teams in 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 order. Clemson, the highest national seed. Right. Coastal, the second highest, and I'm talking about of the three. And then the Gamecocks bringing up the rear. Um, I think the South, the South Carolina winner faces more likely than not the Florida Gators, who are one of the perennial powers and one of the favorites to probably make it back to Omaha and win a college World Series. I didn't look last night to see who Clemson is paired with, and I didn't look to see who Coastal, because I'm not a fan of the Clemson Tigers. I'm not a fan of Coastal. I mean, I, you know, baseball is baseball, and you've only got so much time of the day. I got a radio show I host. I got to be prepared for. So I did look to see if the Gamecocks get out of the Columbia Regional, they will more likely than not play the Gators. Um, I don't know who Clemson plays if they win their regional or who the um, who the likely team is, and I don't know who the likely team that Coastal plays. I do know that I think NC State may be in the Columbia Regional. You got Campbell, the two seed, NC State, the three seed, and then in, um, in Clemson, okay, here we go. In Clemson, I think... Don't hold me to this. Tennessee is the two seed, and UNC Wilmington is the three seed. That's a pretty stout region. I mean, those are two pretty good teams. And then in Coastal or at Coastal, I can't remember who the uh, who the seeds were because I just was not by. Um, I mean, a bad boy. Allen's mothers, I'm sure, will have all that information uh, ready and available at. Uh, well, I mean, he's doing he's the show. He's off this week. He's no. off this no. week. Yeah. You're right. So he won't have that information ready and available 
Um, and I don't either. So I've done the best <laughs> I can uh, to recount that. Day. Um, speaking of the weather, the weather played havoc with racing over the weekend. Um, the Indianapolis 500 was unbelievably exhilarating and exciting. I mean, it was the last lap of the Indy 500 was people driving jets on wheels <laughs> that, that are designed, you know, we, um, forward propulsion and thrust and, um, buoyancy and aerodynamics and all these other things. These cars are designed to stay on the ground, but they're basically airplanes with inverted aerodynamics. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the airplane is designed to lift and fly, and, uh, you know, the, the cars are designed to, to stay on the ground. I mean, they, they're flying, literally, and they're just designed to stay on the ground with all the downforce and the aerodynamics and whatnot. But those guys that drive those cars, I mean, they're either drunk or crazy. I mean, they've got to be one or the other. I'm kidding. They're unbelievably talented drivers. And um, in the last lap of the Indy 500, um, believe it or not, a Roger Penske car won at Indy for the uh, 15th or 16th or 17th um, consecutive time. Uh, the race rained out in Charlotte Sunday. Um, had a little bit of a delay yesterday, not much of a delay. Rev and I have discussed. We're trying to figure out the driver's code of conduct. <laughs> We, we've kind of agreed that we really don't know it. No. I mean, we're not yep. a driver. We know what we see on television. We know what we perceive to be um, the truth. But yesterday, uh, Denny Hamlin and Chase Elliott were the latest two drivers that appeared to have a disagreement about what that code of conduct is. And, um, I mean, we've seen it a lot this year. And I mean, there's an old saying in racing, I race you like you race me. If you give me a little room, I- I'll give you a little room. You know, if you cut me a little slack, I'll cut you. If you race me clean, I'll race you clean. Um, and yesterday, it looked to me that Hamlin may have um, crowded <laughs> Chase Elliott for a lap or two or three. And, I mean, you know, Hamlin said Elliott had a tantrum and um, and retaliated. And it did look, I mean, you know, Chase would never admit that. I think he learned the hard. Uh, Bubba Wallace admitted that he wrecked Kyle Larson and got suspended. So, so when asked yesterday, was that retaliation, Chase Elliott said, you can't drive these cars once they bounce off the wall. You know, in other words, I've learned you don't, you don't admit you ever uh, retaliated. But it's just, um, once again, the driver's code of conduct is in question, and Rev doesn't know what it is, and I don't know what it is because neither one of us drive race cars. I do know this. You can bump and beat and bang with cars with fenders. You know, the NASCAR race is one thing. These cars have fenders. I mean, you can, you know, flatten the tire and all this good stuff, but in Indy, you can't do that. I mean, you can't touch these cars. If you touch these cars, they just take off like crazy. I mean, it's 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 scary. I mean, a tire came untethered and flew over the grandstands mm-hmm. at Indianapolis. But they're running so damn fast, man. I mean, these cars are running. I mean, they're, they're literally that they're 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 inverted jets. I mean, they're airplanes designed to not fly, but rather but rather stay on the ground. And the last thing I want to touch on before we get to our um, political subjects, Rev is my he doesn't know this, but he's my official. Um, technology or technology advisor. Oh, okay. But I, mean, I, I don't know anything, so I called him twice over the weekend, mm-hmm. asking questions about you know um Roku and Fire Sticks and yep. uh, what else, Rev? I mean, you know these things, YouTube, television, yeah, TV, these things. And I don't. And... I mean, I, I just woke up one day paying far more than I, than I should. And in 2023, Rev tells me indirectly he insulted me. He didn't. I mean, he didn't try to, but he did. He said, "You still got boxes, man." <laughs> I said, I got boxes everywhere. I mean, I've got boxes. I got these cable boxes everywhere. Rev says, I ain't had boxes in a long time. Yeah. 
I don't know anybody that has boxes. Well, I cut the cord. You know, we talked about that when I cut the cord a few years ago. So when you cut the cord, you lose the box. And you lose that expense associated. Exactly. So, so here's what Rev has convinced me of. So, so I told Rev, I said, Rev, we'll, we'll name companies here. You ready? I said, Rev, I'm a Verizon wireless customer. I mean, I'm a, you know, my kids are on the cell phone scholarship. It's in perpetuity. It never ends. I mean, you can't get out of that. It's, it's, it's purgatory. I mean, it really and truly, well, it, it's, it lasts a long time. Let's just say that. So, so the cell phone scholarship, um, and I sat down with someone yesterday from Verizon and explained to me why it doesn't make much sense for, um, there's, there's the right there on television. Showing it on Fox <laughs> Pretty News right now. Pretty to me. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that's, um, you can't drive those cars when they bounce off the wall. But uh, <laughs> you can't drive any of them when they hit it that right. hard. But, but anyway, hard. So, so so Verizon is offering a, I mean, they, they've got this 5G network. And I'll let Rev explain it the best way he can. Because mm. I think you would be interested in this. I don't like dealing with monopolies. And I feel like Spectrum has a monopoly. I'm calling them by name. I mean, you know. Um, Everybody knows. Well, I mean, they're, they're, you know, they're the only per place you can get your Wi-Fi from. Well, Verizon now has a 5G network that is not hardwired. I mean, there is no coax cable. Right. You plug it up, and it provides wireless internet, mm -hmm. um, high-speed Wi-Fi in your home. If you're a current Verizon customer, it's only $25 a month. And they guarantee the price for three years. So I asked Rev, I said, Rev, look into that and see if, the, I mean, you know, I don't want to spend all this money. I mean, once again, boxes everywhere and coax cable everywhere. It's 2023. I'm the only person in America that still has boxes and coax cable. So this afternoon, I will transition from um, the only kind of, um, you know, cable I've ever known. And that is a box and, and a coax cable. And I'll have streaming. And it'll be provided by Verizon. What you do, you go to Verizon Home Internet, and you punch in your address. And it says whether you're eligible or not to be, um, well, it's get a, once again, it's $50 a month if you're not a Verizon subscriber. It's $25 a month if you are. And, you know, cord cutting and all that. I don't, I don't know. I just want to save money. I'm spending too much money on television that I don't watch. I mean, I watch the Braves. I watch the Gamecocks. I watch some SEC and ACC network. I watch a little Fox News and CNN. I, I don't watch all these 300,000 channels that I'm eligible to get, and I'm tired of paying for them. So I think that I'm going to save substantial money. But, Rev, how does the – instead of the router, instead of the coax cable, mm -hmm. I've got this box that all I do is plug up, and they say it programs itself, and then next day I've got wireless internet. Right. Explain to me how that works, and is it of the same quality – as, as what I currently have. So you have actually done a great job explaining it. I don't know because I have not, I've not uh, converted over to 5G. Um, but the reason is your house is not right. eligible I, yet. When, when you told me you, what you're doing, I looked at my address and it is not uh, not provided there or whatever. But the way I understand it, 5G is a newer, the newest cellular technology, I guess, that's out there uh, that has a shorter distance. In other words, it doesn't go as far from the... Uh, from the Verizon Towers as some of the other services, 4G and obviously uh, whatever else is available. Um, but it has a lot more bandwidth, a lot more speed. It can handle a lot more connections and basically concurrent access to the Internet. I mean, a lot of bandwidth. Uh, so if your house is in the area where 5G is available, then you can get this box. And it just it acts like, you know, a, a spectrum box connects to cable that's in your house. And then it provides the Wi-Fi or the Internet signal into your house. 
Well, Verizon's doing the same thing, but it's wireless over the 5G Verizon network. So it connects wirelessly using 5G to their tower and then does the same thing, provides the internal Wi-Fi internet service into your house. But the the the, um, the bandwidth is just tremendous. So you trust the technology. Oh, yeah. You trust the capacity. Yes. Okay, good deal. Yep. And if, I mean, I don't... And I think the reason some houses work and some don't is because the further away you get from the tower, the signal is not reliable. So I think when, when they say your address works for their service, they are saying what I'm hoping they're saying is, yeah, this at that location, you are going to be reliable and up all the time on our network, no question about it. And a lot cheaper. And that's the right. main thing I'm interested in, a lot cheaper. Now, okay, so they're building this 5G network. And a guy told me yesterday at Verizon, at the beach, that they're adding roughly 100,000 homes per day to the eligibility list. Um, that, that makes sense to you. Sure. They're, they're, they're building They're towers equipping and, these towers. They're yep. building these towers. They're, they're, they're retrofitting these towers. They're upgrading these towers. Um, and, and once, once again, I mean, I'm on a list now of, well, I mean, my, my, my son's got high speed internet. He pays like 88 or 90 bucks per month. I mean, I think that's kind of the going rate from the monopoly that provides high speed internet around here. It's just exciting for me to have a choice. And I loaded yeah. up a bunch of boxes yesterday at the beach. <laughs> And put them in the back of my wife's ride, and I carried them to the Spectrum place. Mm. And I said, I don't need these uh, outdated. Oh, it made me feel a lot better knowing <laughs> my bank account's not going to get drafted for anywhere near as much money. And, and Rev has counseled me on YouTube television and some of the streaming services, some of the apps, and all this other thing. So if you're, um, if your technology, if you're, if you're illiterate as it relates to technology, as I am, that there's a chance out there now to save a lot of money. Uh, by streaming and these companies providing different means of connecting uh, to high-speed internet, and that, that's kind of exciting mm-hmm. to me. Uh, the monopolies don't have the 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 monopolistic force that they once did, and, and consumers are getting uh, better choices. That is still, yeah, this has to be figured out because once you've cut the cord, then you're getting your selected programming through streaming, obviously. Uh, which is great, reliable. But I did it all day yesterday, Rev at the beach, and it worked fabulous. Yeah, no, I mean, I, it worked I've fantastic it for 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 a long time. But the challenge is to get all the channels you want. For example, the Braves play on Bally Sports, which is available on Spectrum, but because of contracts, negotiations, and disputes, and who knows what, they're not available on YouTube TV. They're not available on Hulu Live and some of the other. I'll just let you keep me up with the Braves, okay? Until Bally and Google can. <laughs> That's can make they, a deal. They ultimately need to get that figured out. Because some of the regional sports. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of been a challenge. But And then there's some other shows like, for example, I watch the On Patrol Live. I mean, that the, those two are the, the, the two. I want to watch the Braves and the On Patrol Live, which is the new live PD. But you don't want to pay 250 bucks for no. wireless internet and cable exactly. that you don't. Yeah, yeah. Th- there you go. Um, So I think I'm paying about one-third. One-third nice. what I was That'll paying. That'll make you feel good. That'll oh, make that your day. makes me feel rich, man. I'm rolling. <laughs> This morning, 843-661-0937. Take a break. We'll be back. I think we've got a call. We'll get there as soon as we return uh, after paying some bills. Back in a few. 843-661-0937. Somebody's on the phone. Let's go there. Bobby in Hartsville. Good morning. You're on the air. Hey, good morning, guys. I got a, I got a comment about baseball. But first, Ken, I wanted to let you know that I was, I was in your old stomping ground Saturday. I, I had to go to Hemingway for a funeral and went right straight through Pamplico and I looked for traffic lights. I could not find any and I told my wife he was not lying. There's 
no traffic light. There is no there. there at no. one at one time, there was a caution light, and we yeah. did away with that. With that, that was too advanced and too um, too modern for our for our um our, our liking. So uh, yeah, there there's no stop light and no um no flashing light any longer. There you go. There you go. I I, I told him. I said he was like, "Stop lying." <laughs> hey, uh, I wanted to update you on my relationship with the Dodgers. Uh, looks like there may be a chance there. I don't know if you saw, but uh. The Dodgers have announced a Christian uh, Fellowship Day in July and uh, had Kershaw make the announcement in his comments. He even mentioned the word Jesus in there, the name Jesus, and said, we'll be talking about Jesus. I hope you'll come out that day and make it a big deal. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm still there. You kind of talked me off the ledge uh, the other day. <laughs> you know, and uh, so I, I think I'm going to kind of hang on for a little while. Good deal. Thank you, Bobby. You appreciate that. You know, when I think of the Braves' rivals, the Dodgers come to mind. I mean, it really, as a, as a younger kid, uh, when the Superstation became first available and we finally had cable in that town with no stoplight, um, the, the, the Dodgers and Braves, well, the Braves in the, Amer- in the National League West for a long time, and they make these West Coast trips. And, I mean, I'd stay up much later than I should. I'd drag for an hour or two at work, you know, after watching the Braves and Dodgers. But, but the Dodgers have always been – a team that I associated with one of the Braves. Because, I mean, it, you know, my kids would say, well, the Dodgers aren't rivals of the Braves. One's an East Coast team, the other's a West Coast team. But when the Braves moved down south from Milwaukee, I mean, they were kind of a misfit. They were misplaced. And they got, you know, they, they got a sign to the NL West. And, and they played the Dodgers in a lot of really good um, baseball games over the years. So I've always felt the Dodgers were one of the um, – in other words, when the Dodgers and Braves played in the NL Championship Series – I mean, if for, for folks my age, it, it reminded you of the days of, you know, the Dodgers and Braves competing for a, a pennant in the National League West. It didn't make any sense, you know, for the Braves to be in the NL West, but they were. Uh, and I guess, you know, trying to get teams to move around. I mean, they did a kind of a grand shuffle. The, uh, didn't the Astros go from the National League to the American League? They kind of did a, a big shuffle at some point in time. But but I want to go to Bobby's point about the Dodgers, and I don't understand this. I mean, I told Rev um, over the weekend, or excuse me, this morning, about some reading I did over the weekend. I mean, I, I, I don't understand. I mean, it looks to me like, and, and I'm not forming a judgment. I'm not leading to boycott. I'm not encouraged to do one thing or another. But when it comes to Target, North Face, Bud Light, uh, the Dodgers, I don't understand it. I mean, I just for the life of me, don't understand it. And I, and I read a lot over the weekend um, this is largely driven by the environmental, social, and corporate governance, um, ESG, and BlackRock. BlackRock, Vanguard, a couple of other big financial houses, um, they're driving a lot of this. I don't know how much influence Bud Light has, or excuse me, um, BlackRock or Vanguard have over InBev. I don't know how much influence they have over Target. I mean, they're large investors. We know that. But here's the point with BlackRock and Vanguard. It's not their money by and large. I mean, they've got their own money, don't get me wrong, and they've got a lot of it. They've got a hell of a lot more than I do. But the majority of investments they make are in the name of a teacher's union or a worker's pension or, or you know what I mean, some organized group has, has made a um, kind of an agreed-upon investment in, in BlackRock or Vanguard. BlackRock's handling this money, or BlackRock or Vanguard is handling that money, and it looks to me like that the majority of these decisions, and, and, you know, I read this. I mean, I, I can't substantiate it because I'm not on the board at InBev. But but I read that InBev encouraged Anheuser-Busch to move a large percentage 
of their mid-level and upper-level management to New York City. And, and, and what I read, and once again, this is what I've read. I don't know any of this to be true, but what I read was it was at the request of BlackRock. And, and you got to believe, if you're Bud Light, you got to believe that um, that moving, moving some of your mid-level or, or upper-level management from St. Louis to New York puts you more closely under the thumb of BlackRock. I mean, is that a fair assumption to make? I mean, if you're yeah. moving closer to Wall Street, and BlackRock is a an unbelievably, unbelievably powerful firm. And, and what happens in the name of ESG or DEI, or I just don't understand it. I mean, you know, I read something over the weekend. Uh, let me find this if I can about woke. I mean, you know, North Face. I mean, North, North, when I think of North Face, I think of you know these <laughs> some of the most extreme athletes in the world. I mean, when I think of Bud Light, I think of a heterosexual male, white male. I mean, honestly, when I think of uh, the Bud Light consumer, I think heterosexual white male. I mean, I don't know what the percentage is of beer drunk by heterosexual white males, but but it's a lot. I mean, the last group you need to make mad is the heterosexual white male if you're selling Bud Light, right? I mean, it's, so what You'd is think North so. Face thinking? And um, once again, um, the Target CEO was last was asked last week. His name is Brian Cornell. And, um, and my family's never done this. My family is now officially boycotting Target. My wife and daughter, that's the only ones that matter in my family. Yeah, you know, I mean, my, myself and my two boys, we don't do much shopping anyway if we do. I mean, we don't shop, we buy. I mean, if we need something, we go get it. We don't, we, we, don't right. go, we don't go off on an excursion, you know, wondering whether we might need something or not. <laughs> if, if we go to the store... We need some socks, man, or some shorts, or or some t-shirts, or some some drawers, if you will. I mean, you know what I'm headed. I mean, we're not going to pick up things and put it back down, and pick it up again and put it back down. I'm with you. Yeah, my my wife Saturday, she, she, I don't know if she's awake yet. Um, picked up the same thing three times. <laughs> you know what I mean? M- mm. Made a loop, made a loop, picked it up, put it down. Made another loop, looked at some other things, picked it up, put it back down. And damn, she didn't do it a third she, time. She had to know you were watching and counting. Get, I, Come I just on. think it's subconscious. <laughs> I just think it's what I, because uh, there was another woman waiting in line to pick it up and put it back down. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, she's standing there, pick it up, put it back down. It's one I behind know, it. Hurry exactly. up so I can pick it up and put it back down. <laughs> You've done it three times. I need to do it again as well. And I'm like, well, either you need it or you don't. Um, but shopping is going when you don't know if you need anything or not. Buying is different. But my wife and daughter have both agreed that they're not going to support Target anymore. Well, the last people you need to make mad, not not my wife and daughter per se, but how many millions of my wives and daughters are there? There are millions of those people. Why do you want to make those people mad? I mean, why do you want to, when they walk in the door, why, why is there some breast-binding bathing suit and, and you know, a, 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 a swimsuit with a tuck option? I mean, I, I don't understand that. I mean, if you're Bud Light, why do you want to make the white heterosexual male mad? If you're North Face, I mean, the name of the company is, is uh, you know, the, the jet stream blows the snow off the North Face, North Face of Mount Everest. I mean, I, I, when I think of the people that are interested in that, I don't think drag queen. I, I don't think transgenderism. I just don't. Why are we doing this? What, what? Well, I'm convinced now that it's BlackRock and it's Vanguard. And it's these companies that have so heavily invested in Target, in InBev, in North Face. I mean, I don't know what the numbers are. I do know this. BlackRock owns more shares 
of 90% of the Fortune 500 company than any other investment firm in the world. I mean, I, that, that's that's kind of a reality. But I don't know. I think they own 11% of Target. They own about 7.5% or Vanguard or somebody owns a certain percentage of InBev and, and of, of North Face. I don't have any idea what North Face is. But North Face is not as big and known as Target. I mean, Target would be what? The second biggest brick-and-mortar retailer in the world? Or at least in America. I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, they're, so. they're not as big as Walmart, obviously. But but I think they're second to Walmart. And I think they've done an unbelievable job at carving uh, out their share of the marketplace and being profitable in that marketplace. But um, but their CEO said, his name's Brian Cornell, and he was asked about the backlash to woke capitalism. And he said, I think those are just good business decisions, and it's the right thing for society, and it's a great thing for our brand. Um, I know that focus on diversity and inclusion and equity has fueled much of our growth over the last nine years. I, 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 I don't. So, so what are you saying? I mean, you don't care if my wife and you no, know what it is? They don't believe that my wife and kid will stop going. My wife and kid have never proven to Target that they're just you know. And, and this goes back to what I said last week. Something tells me, and I don't have any analysis at all. Something tells me that the Seinfeld Watcher is waking up. Now, I'm not suggesting that the Seinfeld Watcher is waiting with bated breath to decide whether to vote for Ron DeSantis or Donald Trump. I mean, I have no idea. But something tells me that the Seinfeld Watcher has said, enough of this nonsense. I mean, why, why would Bud Light or why would InBev hire a transgender activist or a gender dysphoric, uh, you know, man who proclaims himself a woman um, and I told you, I saw a marketing firm do an evaluation of whether this was a good move or not. And Bill O'Reilly had this executive on, and the second that executive said, she, but I knew where we were headed. I mean, there was no doubt about it. O'Reilly didn't push back because he does what he, what he does. But she said, uh, or he said, the market executive said, you know, that um, she brought about it. And I'm like, okay, I get <laughs> this now. I mean, I know where we're, where we're headed now. But, but I went back and uh, I mean, I read a lot about it over the weekend uh, when it's raining, you can't go on the beach and, and do what you wish you could do. But, but you know, th- these traditional assumptions, and we know what they say about assumptions, um, you know, I've just always believed that companies and corporations should try to appeal to the most substantial customer segment there is. But that's just business 101 to me. And and these companies are not doing that. Um, and, and, and maybe there's something other than commercial success driving some of these corporate decisions. I mean, I don't, I don't know that. I, I just would make an assumption that a company as successful as InBev or, or Target or North Face would, would make these decisions based on what is in, um, it's, what is most likely to lead to commercial success. But, and, and I've heard people say, well, these left-leaning human resources, you know, the, the, remember the, uh, the female, the Ivy League graduate with a PhD in economics who is now the head of branding and marketing at InBev, um, I, I just, you know, I just don't buy that. I don't think this is HR, a HR department's gone rogue. I think there's a corporate edict, and I think it's driven by something much deeper than you and I could imagine or concern ourselves. Environmental, social, and corporate governance, this ESG philosophy that, that I think is driving these companies. And how dependent is Target on BlackRock? How dependent is North Face on on Vanguard? I'm not speculating because I don't have any idea. I just know I read over the weekend, I think I'm right here, BlackRock owns about 11% of Target. 
but but here's the dirty secret, guys. I mean, if if Target is losing billions of dollars in market value, and InBev we know has lost billions of dollars in market value, and you're invested in in InBev, or you invested in well, I mean, if you're a teacher and you're part of a pension, and your pension fund is invested with Vanguard or invested with BlackRock, and they're making investments with your retirement money in the name of ESG. I mean, what should you be allowed to do about that? I mean, if you're a teacher in South Carolina making $60,000 a year and you're trying to, you know, you, you put up 9% of your salary and the, the state matches 10 or 11, whatever that number is. I mean, we've debated that and we'll do it again. But let's say that that that, that money you've got set aside is uh, is invested by BlackRock or by Vanguard in Target, in InBev, in North Face, in some of these companies that have bought in to the environmental, the environmental social, and and corporate government, or if they've not bought in, their, their investors have. I mean, the Black Rocks of the world, the vanguards of the world have obviously bought into this. And they're, you know, the, the extreme decisions being made by these companies are not about profitability. They're not about growing a customer base. That there is no logic in the world that, that a beer manufacturer or a beer distributor should try to offend heterosexual white males. It doesn't make any sense. And if you target, why do you want to offend uh, the 35, 45, 55-year-old mom. I mean, it doesn't make any sense, but that's exactly what, what they've done. 843-661-0937. Back in a few moments. 3661-0937 is our number. Takes Tuesdays to make Fridays this week off yesterday. Trying to catch up as we speak. Um, where do debt talks stand following the holiday weekend? We have with us this morning Fox News Radio's Ryan Schmelz in our nation's capital. Ryan, good morning and happy Memorial Day. How are you? Hey, good morning and happy Memorial Day to you as well. Let's talk a little bit about the deal that we think is uh, pending between the Republicans and Democrats on the uh, on the debt ceiling and the negotiations within. Ryan, what can you tell us? What is the latest? Right. So right now we're kind of getting into the wrangle period where Speaker McCarthy and uh, Leader Jeffries, as well as the leaders in the Senate, are going to be trying to get enough votes in order to pass this debt ceiling uh, compromise, really. And and I think one thing to watch today is that the Rules Committee hearing uh, at 3 p.m. today, they're going to be discussing this bill. And you have Ralph Norman from South Carolina, who's on that committee, and he's already a hard no. You also have Chip Roy from Texas, who's going to be a hard no as well. So I think we're all going to be watching maybe Thomas Massey from Kentucky, who hasn't come out and said whether or not he'll vote for the bill ultimately or not, and also to see some of the Democrats on that committee to see if they're going to back it. But no Democrat thus far has publicly said they will not back it. Is that accurate? Uh, I believe that's correct. Now, you did have Pramila Jayapal, who's from Washington, and she's the chair of the House Progressive Caucus. She said that there's likely going to be some progressive members who will not like this bill and ultimately might vote no. But whether or not they're going to, you know, just ultimately agree just to say yes because they want to avoid a default and deal with the compromise, I think that still is a possibility there. Ryan, do we know exactly what Norman and Roy and some of the other Freedom Caucus members are or why they're against the bill? Well, certainly they don't feel it goes far enough to address spending. You know, Chip Roy kind of put it this way where he kind of went down and he did a checklist of all the things that Republicans would like to see in a typical budget deal where you got you you didn't make any cuts to military spending. Uh, You went and got your work requirements, which a lot of Republicans see as a victory. But ultimately, they wanted to see stronger spending reforms to address the fact that we have a national debt 
that's closing in on $32 trillion. So certainly that's been a major concern for a lot of members like that, and they just felt like this one didn't go far enough. And the current language increases the debt ceiling by $4 trillion. Is that accurate? Uh, yeah, I believe that's right. Yes, sir. Okay. Ryan, thank you for your time. Have a great day, and we'll talk again soon, sir. Thank you. All right. Sounds good. Thank you. Ryan Schmelz, um, you want the cliff note of this? Let's go to the phone. We'll come back and touch on debt ceiling. Somebody want to talk about um, BlackRock and Vanguard, the World Economic Forum, and all those <laughs> uh, all those robots that run the world of which we aren't a part of. Or may, maybe there's a listener out there that attends the World Economic Forum. I've told the story. I was in a meeting at USC a while back, and the guy sitting to my left opens a book, and at the top of the book it said World Economic Forum. And I looked and said, okay, you're one of them. <laughs> I know to keep my eye on you. You're one of them. Huh? Let's That's go to right. the phone. Someone's there. Here is Bree, uh, Breeze. Good morning, Breeze. Get all you need to know is if all the Democrats are willing to vote for it, that means they whipped our butt again. That's all you need to know. Um, you and I look at this as what it is. We see that Satan's involved in this, and this is God versus Satan and Christians versus um, you know, evil. Now, if you don't believe in God, you still need to realize this is good versus evil. All of these corporations, from the government school, the corporations, government and the corporations have now become one. And that's hard to fight. That's hard to fight. Like you were talking about these Budweiser distributors. How do they fight? How do the shareholders fight? I mean, do you do some kind of a class action lawsuit, say that Budweiser and Target are intentionally destroying the value of my shares. Plus, you know, and the question there because, you know, BlackRock is right in the middle of this, like you say. So of all of the shareholders, do they have enough of them to stand up to BlackRock and can you force these people to do what they're supposed to do? If I'm a Democrat, I would be very angry about what they've done to the shares of my stock in Budweiser or any other corporation. You know, and just like what they do, and just what government does. You know, the problem with bureaucrats, though, is you can't vote them out. But there is should be something you should be able to do with these corporations, and I just don't know the legalities of it, but there has to be a way. I mean, you're right. It's really kind of crappy for us not to drink Budweiser if we like Budweiser over Miller, just you know, because there are a lot of good guys out there driving those trucks. There's a lot of good people that own the Budweiser distributorships. I knew the guys in Columbia. They were good people, and they thought like we did. At least then they did. So it's really my question, I guess, to you is how do shareholders and people fight back, and how do the employees, like if I'm a Target employee or Budweiser distributorship, how do I fight back and, and, and stay in business but at the same time let people know, so listen, this isn't us. These are the fools that are running our corporation that give us our beer. We do not believe in this stuff. I'm a Budweiser distributor, but I'm a, but I'm a devout Christian or, or devout conservative. I don't go for this. If you're a target employer, employee or manager, how do you let the people in Florence know, so listen, we need our jobs, and, and we don't need Target to go out of business. And my question is, why are they doing this? And it's very evil, and it's very deep, and it's, and it's very layered. And to find the real truth of it would probably scare the heck out of all of us. Thank you, Breeze. Appreciate that. I'll look during the break. VF is the parent company of North Face, and then you've got Target 
Um, BlackRock owns about uh, 800 million, 80 million shares of the two companies combined. I think they own about 45 million. It's about 9% of Target. I mean, that's a lot, guys. When you talk about uh, one of the largest retailers in the history of mankind and one company goes 9%, I think it's 8.5%, 40 uh, million shares. I mean, that's, I mean, that, that's a lot of influence on the, on the business and company. Once again, I look at the Budweiser story differently than I do Target. I look at the Budweiser story differently than I do North Face. North Face corporate is in a land far, far away. I have no idea who runs North Face. I mean, they keep you warm on Mount Everest. I mean, I became infatuated with Mount Everest. And about every video I watched, somebody had something on made by North Face. I mean, that's kind of their claim to fame. I mean, if you're going to frigid temperatures where frostbite is is a potential, you want to have North Face on. I mean, they've got all these, uh, what am I, I mean, it's, I don't know, it's not Mylar and Cronar. I'm talking about DuPont now, but I'm talking about that they've got these, you know, these, um, th- these, uh, these fabrics that they've created that, that keep you warm. I mean, in essence, that's what they became real famous for. Budweiser's different to me. I mean, the Bud Light story is very personal to me. I don't think my friend would mind me sharing this. So the day that we addressed that story, and, and and several callers called in, uh, you know, encouraging a boycott. And, and I remember me saying something to the effect of, I don't know, man, my best friend screwed up before. And I've never thrown my best friend to the curb that easily. Well, I mean, Target and, and, and you know, Vanity Fair, I don't know who runs those companies. But I do know a lot of people who make a living based on how much Budweiser you're drinking, how much Coors you're drinking, how much Miller you're drinking. I mean, Rev's got a preference. I've got a preference. Um, you know, some people like Bud Light. Some people like Miller Light. Some people like Coors Light. I don't want to get involved in helping you decide what, what your favorite light beer is. I mean, they're all low carbs and low calories, and that's why you drink the um the, the nicely flavored water, if you will. <laughs> but um, but but my my friend called me, who I've been friends with for a long, long time, and and I want to tell you, he was as angry as I was. He was far more frustrated than I am. Why? Because my living does not depend on Bud Light. I mean, I don't make or, I mean, you know, how many cases of Bud Light are sold in, in a community in a, in a year? It doesn't bother me. I mean, I'm not, I'm not subject to any of that, you know, market force or that market reality to, to make a living. It doesn't matter to me. But, but it's personal to me because, once again, these are friends of mine. I mean, I have several friends in the beer business. I have several friends uh, associated with Coors, associated with Bud Light. Once again, it's not my job to help you decide what light beer you like. I mean, if Rev likes Coors, Coors Light, more power to Rev. If Josh likes Bud Light, more power to Josh. I mean, I'm not going to get involved in, in helping you decide. But but the person that I know who's largely responsible for running beer distributorships in South Carolina, the people that I know that are largely responsible for running beer distributorships in South Carolina were equally as angry as you are. They were equally as confused as you are. They had no heads up at all that this was going to happen. I'm not making an excuse for InBev. I'm not making an excuse for Anheuser-Busch. But, but I want to tell you, the people that live in the communities that you live in, whose kids play on the same ball teams that your kids play on, they are as angry about this as, as you are, and they're more financially impacted by this than you ever will be. They get your anger. They get your frustration. They get your resentment. They share that anger, that resentment that frustration, but they're long for the ride. I mean, do you really believe the guy driving the beer truck decides who's going to be a spokesperson or not for Anheuser-Busch or InBev? Of course not, or Coors or Miller. And if you don't believe those companies can make a mistake, let them hire a CEO. 
let let them move part of their corporate management. I mean, what is it, Golden, Colorado, and Coors? I mean, what would happen if BlackRock told Coors, you got to move half of your upper-level management to um, New York and be more closely associated with, um, with BlackRock? I don't know. I don't have any answer to that. I do know this. I do know the people that sell beer in South Carolina are as angry, frustrated, and resentful about the decision that InBev made as you are. I don't have any idea how we address that. I don't know how you correct that. You are absolutely entitled to buy the kind of beer you choose to buy. I understand that. I mean, and, and people that sell Budweiser, they understand that. But 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 to, to take it out on people who have no control over that decision, I, I, would, I would like to see us pump the brakes a little bit and, and let cooler heads prevail and, and try to get to a better place of understanding exactly what it is. Now, now here's the point Bree's made, and I don't know the answer to this. I want to read this verbatim. This is the Wall Street Journal over the weekend. This profit-sacrificing behavior is often referred to as virtue signaling, and that is probably apt. But still, in what world is it virtuous to use obese men to advertise women's clothing products or to design women's swimsuits to accommodate male organs? Such initiatives would seem to to be morally neutral at best. So I've always believed that a board has a fiduciary responsibility to be as profitable as that company can potentially be. So so how do you believe, I mean, if you're a board member at InBev, how do you believe that, that you are maximizing your potential profitability by offending heterosexual white males? I mean, let, let's be candid. How many heterosexual white males are, 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 are supportive of gender dysphoria? A small, small percentage. I think most are live and let live, but they'd rather not, put that lady on a beer can, but that's a little bit of an insult. I think we all understand if you're a heterosexual white male and the the branding and marketing director says that it's a fratty beer, but she's not saying fratty. She's insulting heterosexual white males over the age of 40 who don't read Vanity Fair or or, or not not subscribers to salon.com. That's what she is saying. But, But once again, the truck driver has no control over that. The person working in the convenience store has no control over that. I'm the route driver. I saw a, a friend of mine, not a good friend, but a friend of mine, driving a pickup truck with Bud Light on the door. And I'm thinking about him, and I'm thinking about his walking life right now. His, his gainful employment opportunities are not like they were prior to a corporate decision being made that he had absolutely no control over. And, and it's complicated. I mean, it gets real complicated. But is there a legal remedy? I mean, could the distributorships in South Carolina – because it's largely the South. I mean, if you really look at the decline in sales, the more Southern and the more rural it gets, the more likely it is for people to boycott. I'm not encouraging or discouraging. You make that call based on what you feel uh, you have to do to kind of settle that score introspectively and internally. I can't make that decision for you. I'm not encouraging nor discouraging. The only thing I want to make clear is, and I think you know this, that decision was made many degrees above our friends and neighbors who work those jobs just like we work our jobs. I mean, what if community broadcasters tomorrow associated with a gender dysphoric transgender? I mean, would your opinion of Wake Up Carolina be any different? I mean, what, what if our general manager, what, what if our owners um, all of a sudden came down south and said, hey, you know, we're from New York and Boston and we just don't see the world like you do. And we're tired of these heterosexual white males. And we believe that we should affiliate with a more woke uh, version of radio. I mean, the rev pays a price. I pay a price. Josh 
pays a price. I think you know how I feel about gender dysphoria. I think you know how I feel about transgenderism. You gonna take it out on me? I mean, I didn't have any any any. Uh, I mean, I didn't have any decision making in that. I mean, it, there was no way I could influence that decision or not. I mean, that's not going to happen because our owners are good business people and they believe it's their job to market a product to the masses and be as profitable as they possibly can. So is there a legal remedy here? I mean, could people like the owners of the beer distributorships in the southern rural areas file some sort of complaint against BlackRock or against InBev or against the parent gun? I don't know. I don't have any idea how that works. But but I do believe that the, I mean, if people at Budweiser, if people at InBev, if people at Target, if people at, at North Face are not acting the company's best interest, and by that I mean appealing to, to the most people possible, I mean, is that what you kind of want to do? I mean, if you're North Face, do you want to just sell your product to people who are thinking about climbing Mount Everest? Well, if they make these decisions and sales go down, I mean, that proves that they aren't making the right decisions well, as far as fiduciary, right? Correct. I mean, they, they're, 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 to me, they're in violation of their, you know, code of conduct and as it relates to being a board member. If you can point to, you know, certain actions that, you know, they did this and then this happened. Financially harmed the company. Right. But I mean, they, they didn't act in the in the best fiduciary interest of, of the enterprise. Okay, let, let's take North Face. What if North Face ran an ad campaign today that said, if you're not thinking about climbing Mount Everest, we don't want you buying our clothes. Because the only people that we make our clothes are for people who are thinking about or have climbed Mount Everest. So for you cowards, punks out there who don't think about climbing Mount Everest, don't buy our clothes. I mean, just think about the logic behind that. No, I mean, to me, it's always, and it's written down here, um, I mean, something other than corporate profit, is something other than commercial success is driving these companies to make these decisions and if that's the case, what is it? And the only likely suspect I can come up with is the beholdenness to those who have invested so heavily in these businesses. And it looks to me like BlackRock and Vanguard have invested more heavily than anybody else has. So when you're when you're boycotting Bud Light, when you're boycotting Target, when you're boycotting you know North Face, when you're boycotting any of these other companies that have bought into this kind of ESG mindset, I mean. It, in, in an indirect way, you're boycotting your neighbors and your friends who work at Target. Now, North Face is different. I mean, that's not, I don't, I don't we don't have a North Face. I think there's a North Face outlet down at, down at the beach. But, but just imagine if, I, if I'm the North Face CEO and I go to the boardroom and I say, hey, board, here's what I want to do tomorrow. Tomorrow, I want to market our product only and exclusively to people who have or are thinking about climbing Mount Everest. And the board says, go for it. I mean, is that the board acting in that company's best interest? Of course not. Absolutely not. So, so take InBev. So, so the CEO of InBev walks into the boardroom and tells the board members of InBev, hey, we're going to offend every heterosexual white male we possibly can. And, and the board says, yes, do it. Let's, let's have at it. Let's become more woke and more enlightened and, and, and more aware of our surroundings. I mean, it's the, the absurdity of that. So, so, but, but I don't know what the legal remedy is. I mean, I honestly have no idea um, what sort of recourse there is for the the beer distributor, the truck driver, the salesperson, the, the person in the warehouse loading the beer on the truck to be delivered. I mean, we know they're loading less beer. We know they're selling less of that brand of beer. And I mean, it's impacting their livelihoods. So, so in a weird sort of way, this ESG wokeism is, is hitting Main Street USA. You can say, well, I mean, it's, it, it's seven degrees of separation. It'll never happen here. 
I mean, it, when I said what I said about, you know, radio, I mean, what if our owners decided? What if community broadcasters sold today to a radio conglomerate? And that radio conglomerate said, you know, we're going to embrace gender dysphoria. And they sent me an edict and Rev an edict and Josh an edict saying, hey, all that stuff you say about gender dysphoria being a mental illness, don't ever say it again. I mean, I've got to make a decision. Rev has to make a decision. Josh has to make a decision. Do you like your job or not? How do you pay your bills? I mean, I've never been able to pay them twiddling my thumbs. 843-661-0937. Take a break. Back in a few. 3661-0937. Let's go to the phone. A couple of callers are there. Bob in Florence. Good morning. You are on the air. Hey, good morning, guys. Hey, Ken, uh, last week I was in a an establishment in a nearby town, and um, uh, like many of these establishments, they have their beers displayed in a glass-fronted cooler. And uh, I noticed, of course, there was no Anheuser-Busch products in the cooler. And the proprietor came over, and I struck up a conversation, and uh, I made some comment about uh, about Anheuser-Busch, and, and uh, the person said, uh, well, I have it, but I have to keep it under the counter. And I said, what? He said, yeah, I have it. I have it in a cooler under the counter, and if I pour it, I have to pour it under the counter into a glass and put it out on the counter because I can't display it. And I thought that was a hoot. Uh, It's become kind of a de facto uh, black market beer of sorts. it's much like during COVID when there were some some businesses were conducting business out the back door with the closed sign on the front, you know, uh, trying to trying to cover up what they were doing. So it's it's it's, it's comical. This, this whole thing is, you know, it, the next thing we're going to hear is Walmart's going to ban shoppers that uh, have a above average a body mass index, and it's just stupid uh, that you would you would. Uh, that you would alienate your, uh, your your clientele like that. Y'all have a good day. Thank you, Bob. Appreciate it. And I, under, I mean, there's a lot of debate now about the companies have been. I mean, you got all these left leaning uh, human resource directors and marketing departments. I, I just don't buy that. I, I just don't buy that. I think it's far uh, above that. I mean, you know, yeah, I do believe that the majority of marketing departments are probably left leaning. I mean, I'll buy that. But but HR departments don't make these decisions. To, to, to believe that somebody decided to go rogue at Anheuser-Busch, um, you know, an Ivy League-educated female hired as marketing and branding director to believe she had carte blanche and nobody's going to have oversight and nobody's going to pay any attention, no. I mean, that, that, this was driven uh, by the top. I mean, that, I, I'm convinced of that. I mean, I think it was a bad decision, monumentally, a monumentally bad um, decision. Marketing departments try to market, right? I mean, that, that is maximize sales maximize yep. profitability or potential Supposed to. Uh, profitability but that doesn't seem to be the case and these traditional assumptions i've made and believed in about corporate behavior um that you appeal to the most substantial customer segment is just not the truth any longer but but I, do i believe that the majority of fortune 500 companies have a left-leaning hr and marketing department yes i do buy that do i believe that human resources marketing departments within these big businesses or making these decisions separate of CEO and board approval? No, I don't buy that for a single second. Now, how much of this is driven by BlackRock and Vanguard? I, I couldn't begin to answer that question. I can speculate, and I speculate is quite a bit. I mean, I think that Vanguard and BlackRock have a lot of say in how some of these companies conduct themselves, but but I don't know that. But But once again, if you are a teacher and your retirement account is invested with 
a, a pension fund. And that in pension fund pays BlackRock to um, to manage the money, to manage the fund. Um, and BlackRock makes these decisions not on what the return is, but rather a political agenda. I mean, what 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 reg- what recourse do you have there? I mean, you don't you know you you're, you're one teacher. There are a hundred thousand teachers investing in this in this pension account. This pension account decides to hire BlackRock to manage the money. BlackRock is committed to this ESG. You're not, but your retirement is. I mean, you you got to get disconnected from that. Let's go to the phone. Mike in Darlington. Hello, you're on the air. Uh, good morning. Uh, this uh, I don't know if they're catering to uh, cultural transformation and degeneration with the DEI and ESG indexes. But I would be extremely interested in knowing what the uh, the spread on the puts to calls, if you know what I mean, if they if what they what kind of contracts they made before they uh, embarked on this campaign, because it seems like there's a lot of money to be made there with the uh, change in the stock price, and. I, I can't help, but I, I would really like to know what the... You're talking about BlackRock shorting North Face or shorting Target or shorting Anheuser-Busch. Exactly, yeah. exactly. I, I would wonder if this is manipulation of the stock market. And they could make money hand over fist on that if you knew that a brand was going to commit uh, uh, suicide like that and we have these companies committing suicide everywhere even ford motor company it seems like they oh we're going to commit suicide we're going to go all electric oh we're going to have an all electric uh military well that that's just absolutely insane and just to bring in a wild card um there was such a thing as a carrington carrington event in the 1860s and what happened was the earth got hit with a solar flare and it set telephone poles and well they didn't have many telephones then but they had uh, telegraphs and it set telegraph poles and uh, railroad ties on fire all over the world now there weren't any vacuum tubes or radio communication at that time i wonder what would happen if one of those flares hit earth right now I mean, I wouldn't be talking on this uh, cell phone for sure. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate that. See, and and what Mike's getting at is, I mean, hypothetically, let's say that BlackRock, I mean, I'm just using them as an example, BlackRock and InBev. I mean, those are two big companies. InBev's a big company. BlackRock is a a big company that invests in. I think they got 40, uh, let's say Target. Let's say Target, for example. So, uh, because I got that number in front of me. Um, BlackRock owns about 8.5% of Target, 40 million shares-ish. Target loses $3 billion in, in, uh, in market share. What if BlackRock made $5 billion on shorting the stock? I mean, I'm just, that, that's the hypothetical Mike's talking about. I don't know how to check that. I mean, I guess you could go to the SEC um, disclosure forms and when they sell stock and when they buy stock and when they uh, put or option or, 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 you know, short, long, whatever that is. I mean, that would get real complicated. I mean, if you... They've got to disclose that information because they're a publicly traded company, both Target and and BlackRock. I mean, BlackRock would have to make public its investment strategy at some point in time because it's a publicly traded company. But m- the point Mike's making is an interesting one. I've tried to read and find an example of that. I can't. 
but it doesn't mean it happens or not. What Mike is basically saying is, if you're BlackRock and you own 8.5% of Target, you own 40 million shares, and you, you decide um, or you encourage Target to be uh, more engaged in ESG, this environmental, social governance, um, you know, uh, it's not all about profitability. It's about making the world a better place. It's about, you know, saving the planet and, uh, you know, getting off fossil fuels and all these things that the left is so committed to. So, so BlackRock makes a financial decision to convince Target to go woke. In other words, um, at the front of every Target center, put a, you know, a, a, a bathing suit with a tucking option, a breast binding, um, you know, swimwear. And it offends a lot of moms and a, and a lot of daughters and a lot of, um, a lot of families go to Target. Oh, that's crazy. I don't, I'm not coming back here. So Target loses a couple of billion dollars in, in market valuation but BlackRock makes three and a half billion or four billion or five billion in in the um the shorting of the stock. I mean, once again, I don't know that that happened. But but I mean, th- these are pretty. Well, extra- when you can't explain why, because you're, you're asking these questions, why would a corporation do this? Because obviously, it has hit their bottom line. So if you're looking for ideas, well, why in the world would they do this? This this has to be on the table. But but okay, if you're they're if, smart. But if you, you better believe it, too damn smart. I mean, you you better believe it. Real, real, real smart and devious. So if BlackRock convinces Target to make a decision and Target loses $2 billion in market value, it looks like that BlackRock lost $2 billion. Unless BlackRock shorted the stock and the short paid them $3.5 billion. The negative, you see where I'm headed. I mean, that, that would have been a bad investment for Target, but a great investment. For BlackRock, that's kind of an interesting theory, and I've thought about that, but I don't know how to prove it. I mean, there is no way that that I. I mean, I'm not studious enough. I mean, I think I probably could be, but but to really go through some of the financial reporting and say, okay, on um on June first, two thousand twenty-three, you know, BlackRock shorted, and we're talking about puts and options and all these other. I mean, it's complicated financials. Um, but I mean, think about the the movie The Big Short. I mean, there, there was not a financial instrument to short the housing market. And Michael Burry went to the biggest banks in America and said, hey, I want you to let me short the housing market. And remember? I mean, oh, yeah. And I know Superman doesn't fly, and I know the big short took creative liberties, but in essence, they didn't have instruments. I mean, they had to create they made financial instruments to allow Michael Burry to invest in shorting um, the housing market. And, you know, I mean, they, you know, they probably, once they read through some of the documentation, some of the mortgages, and they saw some of what Burry did. Remember when they wouldn't settle with him? I mean, that, that they were doing some. It gets comp. I mean, that, it would be so complicated. It's not far fetched. I mean, I almost said far fetched, but it's not to say that BlackRock would do anything to make a dollar. I mean, that there's nothing far fetched when it comes to that. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Dale in Florence. Hey, you're on the air. Good morning. Morning, guys. <laughs> and you know. I went through this last weekend. I had time, and, you know, I never knew who this Dylan McVaney person was, and I'd certainly never seen any of his videos or anything. I went through and watched some of it this weekend. I got to tell you guys, if I'm a woman, I am pissed. I mean, I am just outraged. This guy isn't acting like a woman. He's acting like a cartoon of a woman. And how anybody could think that anybody else would find that appealing or engaging and make me want to go buy beer. I don't know what the heck you guys are thinking about. 
You guys have a good day. Thank you, Dale. Appreciate it. And that really goes to I mean, the fifty-three percent of the votes cast in the twenty twenty-four presidential election. Ah, about fifty-two point one or two percent. Um, got a bad habit of rounding up when it doesn't deserve to be rounded up. So let's say uh, when it's a little better than fifty-two percent of all the votes that will be cast in the twenty twenty-four presidential election will be cast by women. I mean, females will outnumber males in the 2024 presidential election if history holds. And are women really that bothered by the radical position the Republicans have on abortion? But the media tells you that, you know, once a heartbeat is detected, I mean, that's the South Carolina heartbeat bill. And, you know, I got got to get on this before the, the week's out. Judge Newman, I don't know if you saw this or not, but Judge Newman of Murdoch fame um, invalidated the legislation, um, ruled it, and, and said basically this has got this has got to go back to Supreme Court. So Ooh, the I the legislation that. that we did that that you know Jay Jordan, Mike Rickenbaugh, and Philip Lowe have worked diligently on behalf of to stop South Carolina from being an abortion tourist state uh, is now. I mean, it's it was signed into law. Excuse me, it was voted on by the House of the Senate. We're waiting on the governor to sign it into law. I think the governor may have signed it into law. And um, and it was six weeks, basically six weeks, uh, rape, incest, life of the mother being the exceptions, which is a, a, a reasonable bill as far as I'm concerned. But Judge Newman um, invalidated the, the, the governor's sign of the bill into law and basically goes back to the, to the Supreme Court. And it's just bizarre to me how we've got so many Democrat judges in South Carolina. I mean, I understand the transitioning from, from the old Southern Democrat to the new, you know, Southern Republican. Um, I, th- I think there's still four members of the General Assembly who were elected originally as Democrats, now Republicans. Uh, we've had a lot of that over the years, and I get, you know, the South was kind of a Democratic stronghold, and then it was not. It became a Republican stronghold. There's still some kind of leftover from that, but um, but it's just hard for me to believe that, you know, a judge in South Carolina, one of the most conservative states in America, uh, one of the most pro-life states in America, and, and we still have one of the most, I guess today as we speak, if there's a 50-yard line of liberal and conservative, South Carolina today, because of what Judge Newman did, is on the liberal side of the 50-yard line as it relates to abortion. And, I mean, this will go back, I guess, to the Supreme Court, but remember what the Supreme Court did um, previously. Now, Kay Hearn is no longer... I remember, I don't think she is. I think Kay is now off the, the South Carolina Supreme Court, but I guess it'll be back in the South Carolina Supreme Court's hands because Judge Newman overruled the decision the General Assembly made mm-hmm. and the governor signed uh, into law. 843-661-0937. Let's take a break. We'll be back on the other side. Got a caller there. We'll get back to you as soon as we possibly can. 843-661-0937 is our number. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Charlie in Manning. Good morning. You're on the air. Good morning, Ken. Just want to make a quick comment and chime in on, on uh, what y'all were talking about as far as the, the left wants everybody to believe that uh, it's okay and the majority of the people think it's okay and it's not. And a prime example was uh, you know, what they did with Budweiser. And, you know, they're $15 billion in the hole. And, you know, the next one is uh, Target. And, you know, a lot of the women that I know, friends of mine that I know, think that it's not going to make a difference. But it does make a difference. When you hit them in their pocketbook, it makes a big difference. 
And uh, just want to leave that with you. I'll take comments off the air. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. And I don't take any joy in this. I mean, there's no satisfaction that I get from Target making a decision like they did or North Face or InBev. I mean, I've explained I have a lot of real good friends in the beer business. I mean, I was fortunate or unfortunate enough to serve at a statewide office. Um, you know, the, the Beer Wholesalers Association has a certain system that they sell beer. And, you know, th- they, they protect that. That's their livelihood. And I, mean, I, I don't take any joy in this. I mean, it, it's less, I mean, it, it, it doesn't keep me up at night, but it's less bothersome to me to know what Target's dealing with or North Face because I don't have friends that work at Target. I don't have friends that, that, that depend on, you know, whether North Face provides, you know, X number of uh, outdoor apparel, apparel per year. But, but the beer is very real to me. I mean, it, I, you know, a, a lot of my friends drink beer. Some of my friends are involved in in selling beer, and 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 I go back to the original conversation. I think Rev may have been with me when when a buddy of mine called and said, "Look, man, I hear how angry your listeners are. Mm-hmm. I am as angry as they are, but please understand we're at the mercy of a corporate decision." Now, now I've heard the well. I mean, that's tough. That's just the way the world works. But but there's got to be some compassion in this. And, and I don't take any joy at all in knowing that the guy going to the convenience store this morning, as he always has on Tuesday morning, is going to sell a third, you know, less Bud Light than he normally does. Or the truck driver is going to deliver a third less Bud Light than he normally does. Or the beer distributorship, uh, you know, about, you know, four, five, or six that I know personally are going to sell a third less of Bud Light. But there's no joy in that. I don't take any, any happiness in that. But, but the markets have spoken. And the last thing a beer company needs to do is offend heterosexual white males. I mean, that's not, I didn't have to go to the, um, to the Harvard School of Business or the Stanford School of Business. I mean, you learned that in the School of Hard Knocks. You, 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 your product needs to have mass appeal. And you've got a loyal customer base that you need to cater to and take care of. And I mean, not you're offend. always, yeah, and not offend. I mean, that, that's really the most bothersome part of this. I mean, if you're going to try to engage a new audience, okay, fair enough. We need more females drinking beer. We need more males shopping at Target. We need more people not interested in climbing Mount Everest to buy North Face. I get that. I mean, that, that makes sense. How do we expand our, our presence? How do we, um, you know, increase our share in the marketplace? But, but you don't do it by offending the very people that made you what you are. I mean, there, there's no logic in that. There's no, I mean, who, who decides to do that? And, and these traditional assumptions I've made as a business owner, I can imagine me walking to my father's office when he had, you know, given me enough responsibility to affect the, you know, some of the outcomes of the business. I can imagine me walking into my dad's office and say, hey, you know, I'm going to tell all the steel salespeople to go to hell. <laughs> I mean, they're charging us too much for the steel. And, you know, what are you going to build truck beds out of? If you don't, I mean, there has to be this engagement, this understanding and maybe that's where we're, maybe this is the point we need to pay closer attention to. If you're in a corner office at Black Rock, are you really engaged in the affairs of average everyday Americans? I mean, isn't that kind of the Trump phenomenon? How disconnected those in power had become with those who felt powerless? I mean, the extreme, you know, on, on the linear graph, the yeah. extreme um, of each example. So, so here's the working stiff who feels absolutely powerless in this economy. I mean, he's a kite of the wind. He goes where they tell him to go. He does what they tell him to do. Why? Because he doesn't feel like he has a lot of choice. 
And then you've got on the other end those who gather at the World Economic Forum. And we tell people where to stand. And we decide what businesses sell and what they don't sell. And we dictate the terms and conditions of commerce in our free market or not. I mean, you know, m- most of us are somewhere probably on the um, on the non-World Economic Forum side of the 50, but, but we're not kites in the wind, nor do we have, you know, ultimate authority in how the private sector works. And I just believe those who have not ultimate authority, but a large sway in the affairs of um, you know, transact commercial transactions, but maybe they become unbelievably disconnected and, and and not concerned with the general public. The consumer. Take a break. Back in a few. So it pays a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody has a at price tag. Right? You're honest. Yeah, we're not participating in the wussification unless it pays a lot of money. Then we may um we may participate in the wussification of America. Dr. Will Bolt is here, diminishing his reputation every time he joins the uh, <laughs> the esteemed panel here. He's been here a lot, so it might as well be down to none. At, at so so, point, so yeah. let's do this for a second. Um, let, let's let's get out of the academic world, out of scholarly world. Because sure Bolt knocking, I mean, we, we can we can go there. I mean, when we choose to, but a lot of you struggle in following <laughs> along. So 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 let's be fair to the masses. Um, Rev, what would you do? And Bolt, what would you do um, if you were CEO of Target, North Face? Bud Light. And by that, I mean, if you've created a, um, a firestorm that seems to be <laughs> way of putting it. Uh, yeah, an impediment to market entry. In other words, you're not uh, enjoying as many customers as you did mm-hmm. prior to making a, um, a decision. What, what, what do you think needs to be done as it relates to Target, North Bay? And I don't want to single a company out. To, to me, the beer is, is easier to understand. I don't want to say there's a monolithic consumer. But the majority, I mean, I've, I've looked at some of the data. I mean, most 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 people who drink beer are male. I mean, overwhelmingly, it's not everybody. I mean, there was this girl, and anyway. Um, but 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 the majority of, of beers drunk by male consumers. Um, I doubt they have much patience nor tolerance for gender dysphoria. I'm just making that um assumption. But but if you were the CEO of Target, North Face, or uh, in Bev, Anheuser Busch, what what would you do, Reb? The first thing is you don't double down. Okay, and some of these CEOs appear to have in an attempt to maybe clean it up or maybe not have doubled down on their position, but this is the right thing to do, you know, it's virtual signaling or whatever. Um, but I, I think you can come back for that, but you really have to do it. I mean, you have to apologize. You have to say, we, here's what we did. And it was a horrible mistake. And I'm sorry, we've offended you, our customer, and we want you back and we want to earn your business back. And it will never happen again. Thank you for being a consumer for as long as you have. Yeah. Please forgive us for making this one bad mistake. I mean, it's a, I said, Dr. Bolt, I said earlier, or not earlier this week, because this is the first day we went on the air this week. I said last week, one day, or maybe the week before, that it's, a, I mean, the beer, Target and, and North Face are a little bit different. But, but the, the you know, the, the beer brand is a bit iconic. Yeah. I mean, it's been around since the beginning. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it, it's Americana. I mean, it really is, exactly. yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's Americana. And, and, and I think, you know, we forgive our friends who make mistakes. I mean, I've got friends who have made mistakes. I've made mistakes and we've sat down and, and, and Rev's exactly right. But the first thing I say to my friend when I know I was wrong is, Hey man, Oops. I owe you an apology. Yeah, I mean, I, I owe you an apology. I mean, I, I thought this was going to work out this way. It did not. I misled you. I didn't intentionally mislead you. But, but you were misled, and it's my fault you were misled. And because of that, I owe you unequivocally an apology. What, what do you say to that? Well, it, it's tough. Nobody likes to throw themselves on their sword and 
especially publicly in front of millions of people said, oops, I, uh, I made a mistake. But in this instance, right, I think you've certainly just because the, the bottom line, you're hemorrhaging customers. I mean, you've been a brand that's synonymous with the United States of America, and yet people are just boycotting you because of this. Yeah, you fire the marketer. You fire the guy who ever told you to go down this the road lady, for sure. So, the, the Ivy League-educated marketing and branding director. I mean, you you, you, you reshuffle the, the offices. You, know, you, you move some guys around just so they can save face. But somebody's got to go out there and take one for the team and say, oops, our bad. And there's got to be some sort of incentive, you know, a, a big, big sale to try and get people back. You, again, you, you suffer another short-term loss, but you hope that by putting this behind, you're just taking a short-term loss in the long run. You'll be better down the road. And I, I would think something like that, people would come back if you do it if you do it the right way. I think they would. I mean, I think people are willing to forgive. The American public have shown uh, the propensity historically to forgive. We're thinking about political candidates. Um, I mean, I mean, seriously, I mean, I think America yeah. kind of likes a comeback story. Absolutely. Um, and right. I think they like being loyal to somebody they think deserves to be to be loyal. I think there's a lot of beer drinkers right now waiting with bated breath for an apology um, to, to go back to doing things that they'd usually. I mean, it, it gives you a chance to have kind of a feel good ending yeah, to, so. to a um, to a difficult and complicated okay. um, ordeal. Let's go to the debt ceiling. I want to get your take on this because I've got a couple of notes here sure. that I'll review and, I'll, and get your take here. So it seems to me that, um, well, I mean, every Democrat's supporting it. A lot of Republicans aren't. I mean, that's kind of sort of about all I need to know as a conservative <laughs> Republican. But they're basically authorizing a raising of the debt ceiling uh, by $4 trillion. Um, if we're spending a trillion dollars a year we don't have, that means they got about 48 months before we'll do it again. Um they're freezing non-defense discretionary spending at fiscal year 2022 levels. They're capping federal spending increases at 1% per year over a six-year period. Okay, that's a, that's a score. That's somewhat of a win. Work requirements for welfare recipients, that's somewhat of a yeah. win. Uh, resuming student loan payments. Um, okay, that's not a win. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we should resume student loan payments. I mean, what's the option to not resume student loan uh, repayments, and then permitting reform to speed up energy projects. I mean, that that's Joe Manchin. I mean, that, that's for Manchin. Yeah. That's kind Let's of his baby off. there. And then they're they're basically um, doing away with $10 billion of the $80 billion yeah. that we added to the IRS small budget. Percentage. Yeah, a small, small percentage there. Dr. Bolt, it looks like the Democrats have a reason to be supportive because if these are the contingencies, McCarthy didn't get it done. Yeah, the devil's, the devil's in the details. For sure. Uh, th this is the one thing Biden's kind of good at. I mean, he's from that old FDR LBJ track of the Democrat. He's a wheeler and a dealer. This is the one of the few times where he's kind of, this is what he's kind of made for. And McCarthy, this is his first rodeo. Biden has done this many, many times. And everybody knew that we, we weren't going to go across the finish line. Something was going to get done. And it looks like it's still, it's still maybe a little too early. We've still got it's got to get out of the rules committee today. It looks like in this game of chicken that maybe McCarthy, or maybe he could have gotten a little bit more. Maybe another negotiator for the Republican side could have gotten some more concessions. But again, the big win for Biden is it's it's off the table till after the election. Well, and and here's my take on this. Um, having served in office before, numbers on a sheet of paper <laughs> turn into people. I mean, a cut of a trillion dollars, a cut of two trillion, a cut of a uh, ten billion. And, and the next thing you know, somebody that you know right. from the yeah. IRS comes to see you. Somebody that you know 
from the um, the Debt Consolidation Subcommittee comes to see you, and somebody that you know who's been lobbying for a certain special interest in the defense sector um, comes to see you, and it's hard to say yes to numbers on a sheet of paper. It's 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 much hard. Excuse me. It's easy yeah, to say yes to numbers on a sheet of paper. It's much harder to look people in the eyes and say, "Hey, I, I know you've been here a long time. I know you've hosted three fundraisers for me. <laughs> I know you've raised a million dollars for my reelection campaigns." But we've got to do this in the best interest of America. I always, I mean, I was always concerned that we had a bunch of numbers wrote down or written down on a bunch of sheets of paper, but eventually that they would narrow this down to 10 or 12 places to cut. And those people responsible for those budgets were going to pay the speaker a visit, and we'd end up with a, um, a lesser version of this. Yeah. It's discouraging to me, Dr. Bolt, as someone who believes that debt will lead to our demise. And we've got a chance to really show a commitment to dealing with the debt. And here we are raising the debt. So think about what we're doing. I mean, we're getting some, not necessarily cuts. We're getting some slowdowns in spending, but we're raising the, the debt ceiling by $4 trillion. And just think if you talk to, to Thomas Jefferson or Andrew Jackson, and they would say, well, you have a, a limit on how much you can borrow. You've borrowed that much that you've got to have. Oh, and now you need to raise <laughs> The limit. I mean, it just tells you just how how much we've messed up our, our financial, our fiscal house. And again, we're never going to get it in order until somebody is willing to make the, the tough, tough, difficult decisions. And again, everybody, when they're out of power, is a fiscal conservative. And then once you get in there, they, eh, you know, because again, like you said, these cuts and now you're saying, all right, they, if they're going to affect somebody, some of my constituents, somebody that I know. And again, un- until they're willing to make the tough, tough, difficult decisions that might be might cost them politically. We're just going to be doing this four trillion dollars, increasing it in one, one fell swoop. So it's who knows if and when we're ever going to get our house in order. If it's all going to come tumbling down, you know. And Lindsey Graham's one of the outspoken critics of this deal by saying it. Um, you know, some of the defense spending. I mean, it gets you back to the Biden defense budget. It goes about percentage of GDP and and how much we're spending on GDP. Um, Lindsey's lost me. I mean, and I mean this sincerely, but there, there are times I'm with Lindsay, with times I'm, I'm not with Lindsay, but he seems to be blinded by this, this burning desire to intervene in places around the world yeah. that may or may yeah, not yeah. have our best interest. Dr. But what, what do you do when there's a political uh, misalignment? In other words, when the American people, and I've seen poll after poll that say, I'm not as supportive of our involvement in Ukraine as I was previously. Sure. It, it looks to me like we're spending more money. Uh, we're not asking for accountability from people in, in Ukraine as yeah. to how we're spending um, taxpayer dollars. But you still got this very entrenched, you know, neoconservative mindset, the American military-industrial complex. I yeah. mean, w- w- what do you make of it that, that when we try to not cut defense spending but rather slow down the increase in defense spending, members of both parties say yeah. um, no to that. Well, it's, it's again, how are you going to make the cuts? We've got these these sacred cows. A lot of Americans say you can't touch defense. Other Americans say Medicare, Social Security, off the table. What's really, really left? You've got just a small percentage. You're just cutting around the edges. And for many Americans, well, we've already invested. Who knows how much we've invested into Ukraine to kind of pull out or diminish it now. Putin then moves in, and then we've wasted all of this money. So it's like it's like, it's like the mob. We're in too deep at this point. We, we'd, we'd like to maybe pull out or diminish it. But again, if we do that, uh, Ukraine is overrun. And then all of this was for naught. You're talking about some of the devil into the details. I did read last out of the Wall Street Journal 
the work requirements for welfare recipients does not include Medicaid. Yes. And that's the biggest driver. I mean, if you're not yeah. addressing Medicaid when it comes to welfare, I mean, the SNAP program's a big deal. So, some of the uh, housing subsidies and uh, what I'll call means-tested, excuse me, non-means-tested um, subsidies. But if we're not addressing Medicaid, then we're not serious about uh, entitlement reform. And when I saw where the work requirements, in other words, you can you can't collect uh, you can't collect welfare unless there's some well, work requirement, but you can collect Medicaid, which is the biggest welfare program oh, in all of America. It's just I mean there, yeah. there seems to be a lack of seriousness yeah. and commitment to getting our financial house in order. But again, that's the hill the Democrats are going to die on. You don't don't touch Medicaid. That's that's our that's our baby. And that's the one where they probably might have taken us across the fiscal cliff if the Republicans had insisted on doing this. And and I, everybody realizes we, we had to do something. We couldn't go to June 5th. If we did it without some sort of a deal, the, the results would have just been catastrophic. And what would have been destroyed, it would have taken us months, probably even years, uh, to crawl our way out of. And again, it's it, it's a compromise. Washington is dirty. Uh, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's an ugly business. Again, sometimes you don't like it. But again, half a loaf is better than no loaf at all, at yeah, in my and, opinion. And in all honesty, I mean, there, there's some wrangling going on now. I mean, uh, Ralph Norman has said no. Chip enough, Roy yeah. has said no. Ralph's on the Rules Committee, yes. on the House Finance mm-hmm. Committee. So so there'll be some, um, shall I say, some shenanigans between, well, the, between now and right then. Right, with the Rules Committee, you're, it's going to take Democratic votes to get it out. And if it gets sabotaged there early on... <clears throat> Then you're going to really get into the weeds and like discharge petitions and some some inside baseball in Washington politics if McCarthy wants to get this across the finish line. But right, if they, if they gum it up today in the rules committee, get your popcorn ready. Well, I think they're going to gum it up today, and, and we're, we're trying to reach out to Ralph. I think Ralph will be with us tomorrow at about 7.05. Uh, he's been on Fox Good. all morning this morning trying to explain his position. And he, and, he, and he really said, and I think Ralph has said this on our show before, that, that Kevin McCarthy has talked the talk and walked the walk. Well, today he says Kevin McCarthy is still talking the talk. He's just no longer um, walking the walk. The Freedom Caucus, especially those on the Rules Committee, have an opportunity today to, as Dr. Bolt said, gum up this thing and force it down an alternative path. Um, It could be a a petition or discharge petition. uh, There's some other creative ways. There are some other little does McCarthy know about you, you, you got Pelosi kind of waiting in the wings, kind of the the devil or the angel on Jeffrey's shoulder, kind of saying, well, you know. And, yeah. and I don't know who McCarthy listens to, yeah. but I can assure you of this. Pelosi knows every trick, yes. and yes. McConnell knows every trick yes. in, in the Senate. Now, now, Schumer knows every trick, but if it, he'll need McConnell to help him a bit yep. in the Senate. Uh, McCarthy seems to be the outlier here, and I think he did a great job in um, convincing members of the Freedom Caucus that if given the opportunity to be speaker, he would dig in and hold firm on yeah. some of these. And I don't know, McCarthy may believe he is digging he in has, but and holding firm. He has, but not enough. Yeah, and not exactly. enough, and that, that's the big debate. Yeah. I always go to this. As a conservative Republican, if all the Democrats support it, I don't. That, I was kind of weird. I thought the Democrats would maybe just so, come, would come out publicly and say, no, 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 some of the progressives would say, maybe just kind of give a little bit of cover. And so, But since the Democrats have kind of a unified front, yeah, I thought that was a, a weird tactic on that part. Is kind of it, surprise. This is, I mean, this is my opinion. In my opinion alone, the reason the Democrats are so quick to rally around one another, they just stand for big government. I yeah. mean, the, the Republicans, <laughs> somebody within the ranks of the Republican caucus, 
there's a lot of different mindsets. Oh, it's, it's a bigger there's tent There's a now, lot yes. of different philosophies. There's a lot of different ideologies. At the center of the Democrat Party today is government. You know, grow government, give government more control. How much more control? It depends on how much more we can get. How much money? It depends on how much money we can get. And if Pelosi goes to the caucus and says, this is all the money we can get right now, vote yes. They seem to rally around Pelosi and say, okay, if Schumer goes and says, this is all the control we can get right now, we all need to vote yes. When, when McCarthy or, or McConnell or whomever leads the Republican caucus, it seems to be a lot more complicated, Dr. Bolt. Well, yeah, for many years, it was just the Republicans. Well, you got the evangelicals in Wall Street. And you got the, the Trump MAGA crowd, the industrial workers kind of from the North who used to be with Democrats. So, again, it's a much bigger town, a lot more interest that the Republicans have to try and uh, herd all together. But they believe the a end. lot of different things. I mean, you're right. Sure, it's a oh, big team, and, and it's a very weird, I mean, not weird. That's not unfair. It's a very it's non-traditional a group. Coalition, but, yeah. uh, it, it's, a very, it's a very non-traditional coalition, very diverse coalition. And they believe a lot of different things. So if you've got a House member in Buffalo, New York, and a House member in Horry County, South you're Carolina, right. I mean, they, you know, they, they're a member of the same caucus, but obviously they're motivated by, by, by dissimilar um, sorts of interests. Let's take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. 843-661-0937. Takes Tuesdays to make Fridays. Dr. Will Bolt, history chair, Francis Marion University, is with us this morning. Dr. Bolt, I want to get your take on this. Um, and this is not early American history. This is not Jefferson and Jackson and <laughs> Hamilton that we always talk about. But but there is something different about this presidential um, campaign we have a guy that has won formerly a presidential election <laughs> and lost formerly a presidential election. Um, I don't know if there's a precedent to that. Uh, and, I mean, not Grover Cleveland. Well, but, but did won, Cleveland did Cleveland lost and then came back and won in a primary? Again. I mean, it, did they? I mean, it, how did we did we have primaries back then? You had you no, you had the guys in the smoke filled room. Correct. You had like a, a nominating convention. Correct. And so this would be the first time we've ever had uh, somebody who won a presidential campaign, lost a presidential campaign, and then running in a through. Republican primary. Yeah. I think that's the uniqueness of this. Yeah. We believe the, um, or I believe, I can't say we, I believe the only contender that legitimately threatens Donald Trump winning the Republican primary is Ron DeSantis. Rev made an interesting point. As soon as DeSantis becomes the nominee, the media will say, you thought Trump was bad? <laughs> mm. I mean, we've dug up some things on this guy. This guy is much worse, I mean, th much th scarier. Trump Trump is baby crap alongside, <laughs> what, alongside what this son of a gun has done. Thank you, uh, that, That's kind of where we're <laughs> headed. Uh, but, but but what is your take on DeSantis as a, um, I mean, not, not necessarily as an historian, but, but a political observer? It's kind of cyclical because in the fall, there was all this buzz about DeSantis and that he was going to, he was going to get in. He was going to remold the Republican Party, walk to the nomination. He took his time, got in the battle with Disney, and suddenly is way, way behind Trump in all of the polls. And now he seems to be kind of coming back. He's he's officially, he's formally in the race. He's kind of chipping away. And it looks like it's 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 going to be a heck of a fight. But do you buy that he's the only legitimate threat to Donald Trump winning the primary? I mean, do you think a Tim Scott or Nikki Haley or Vivek Ramaswamy could never say catch never. Life? But if 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 you if you if I had to go to Vegas, right, I would do Trump or DeSantis. Okay. At, stranger things have happened, but almost certainly it's going to be one of those two guys. And, and you've said this before, though, and there's lots of news stories. The more people that are in the race, there's only so much oxygen. 
Trump is going to have 25, 30%, maybe 30, more. 32, 33. In every state. And it's all the rest of that's just kind of got to get gobbled up by the other ones. And so unless a bunch of the other ones, the the favorite sons, the lower guys, men and women, get out early on, you know, DeSantis probably isn't going to be able to get enough. It's Trump will just kind of eke it out, you know, win by a couple hundred a couple of, you know, delegates in the end. It, there's really just a, a tough pathway to see him do, unless Trump implodes, makes a, gives himself a self-inflicted wound. Or goes to prison. <laughs> DeSantis almost— He may do better. He'd win the primary <laughs> right. in prison. He may not win the general. He'd win that the that primary might make more from a prison cell. Right. He would win the primary <laughs> from a prison cell. So. Um, Rev, is there any—I'd be interested in your take uh-huh. on this, and I want to get under bolts. You're good, man. Is there any scenario that you would switch from Trump to DeSantis— is there anything DeSantis can do mm. in the course of this campaign that, that leads you to say, wow, I mean, th- th- this guy could be an effective president for two terms? Um, first of all, talking about the scenario, stranger things have happened. Remember, Biden came in fifth in New Hampshire. Early on, you're before, right, yeah. so, And then ended Plot up. his way back. Yeah, look, look at we, us We now. believe they fudged <laughs> in allowing well, him to stay course, on the ballot. Of course they I did. mean, he didn't cross the threshold, yeah. and he should have been, that should have been the end of the campaign. But anyway, I mean. But, but is there something... I think if it really comes down to it, uh, electability has to be considered. And, and you have to be honest with yourself. I mean, I think Trump is the guy. I think he was a very, very good, if not great, president and w- has earned my support for a second term. Um, but when it comes down to making that final decision, which, you know, I don't know if my mind could be changed, but you have to consider electability because. If, if you think like I do, then, you know, another Democrat term is not acceptable. Okay, let's go to electability. What if Trump has a 40% chance to win and DeSantis has a 50% chance to win? <laughs> Are you willing to roll the dice there see, and stay Trump? But, but, I would, but you see where I'm headed. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But, now, but if there's an 80% chance that Trump, I mean, if there's an 80% chance that DeSantis wins and a 40% chance that Trump wins, I think you've got to be honest with yourself and say, okay, Trump or DeSantis are better than Biden. I'd rather have Trump, but if the odds are that much better for DeSantis, that's the electability you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, and if it's close like that, I don't know. If it was a slam dunk, obviously, you got to go with the win or the the better chance or the extreme better chance to win. But, Dr. Bolt, does it put Trump in a complicated situation of having to defend (laughs) his decision on Fauci or his decision on Christopher Wray? I mean, I said last week, if you think about it, I mean, Trump trusted Fauci. In the and beginning. If, and if you're DeSantis, you got to say that, right? Yeah. yeah hired, you can hit him. Who hired yeah. Christopher Ray as FBI director? We'll put him in there. Uh, but, you see. but DeSantis supported that publicly. They found tweets where he said it was an inspired choice. I, I, I get it. I understand. But Trump it. was the guy. I but, get but Trump it. was the guy, yeah. and he made that call. Uh, Dr. Bolt, is that the strategy that you would employ if you were giving DeSantis advice? Because you got to create, you can't be a copycat. No, I hear you. I mean, if, you, you, if you're you gotta, going to be a copycat, separate. why not vote for the original article? You know what I mean? If, you, if you're trying to be Trump, why wouldn't I just right. vote for Trump? I mean, there's got to be some contrast of choice. Sure. No, and, and again, well, DeSantis, a big record is what he was able to do in Florida. You know, we didn't have these these restrictions. You know, we protected your personal freedoms and liberties. And the question then becomes then, what worked in Florida, does is that going to work in New Hampshire? He's going to have to go up there. That's an early primary. And if he gets blown out there, you know, probably, probably doesn't hurt him in Iowa. And certainly, probably not here in South Carolina. But then you start thinking general election, right? Just just because it worked in Florida, how's that going to play in Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania? The sort of bellwether states, the states that you got to have. 
And we know that Trump has won those states one time, lost them kind of close the second time around. So, no, if, if you're a power broker, the, the men and women behind the scenes in the Republican Party, and you get your finger on the lever, they're tough, difficult decisions that you got to make. And there's that old expression, right, the, the devil you know is sometimes better than the devil you don't know. But, but the interesting point you made is how crowded the field has gotten. We mm-hmm. believe there will be another one be or some two. More, sure, sure. And 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 here's where and I think Rebel except this: Trump's ceiling is the lowest, his floor is the highest. Yeah. And in a crowded field, the person with the highest floor is in yeah. the best position. I mean, it, you know, Don, Donald Trump in prison is yeah. going to get thirty percent of the vote. <laughs> right. But I'm serious about that. No matter what, yeah. Because you know that they believe the system has identified him as the mm-hmm. legitimate threat to power and influence and, and the way the government works. And, you know, you're not going to change their mind. Yeah. That's why I was interested in asking Rev that. Because I think Rev is a Trump voter who would be willing to change his mind mm-hmm. under when, certain situations you and have circumstances. To this, when you're thinking about electability, though, you have to think about the Trump voter that may stay home if DeSantis wins yeah. the nomination, Right. And, and, and that and that's another calculation to electability that is really hard to understand. Well, Doctor Bolt was the Jackson voter a Jackson voter? Oh, they. they I mean, would, the loyalty to the party was not that important with with Andrew Jackson. I mean, they would certainly they would charge the gates of hell for him. And when Jackson stepped aside and put his arm around Martin Van Buren from New York, uh, the Jacksonian voters for the first time came out and supported him. Uh, they turned on him in Van Buren's reelection bid because he messed up the economy. Uh but again, right? If Trump were to just to say to say, all right, I've, I'm stepping aside, and he puts his arm around Ron DeSantis, and you know gives a major endorsement speech, it's 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 probably over at at that point. You know, start start writing the inaugural address. Is there any point. scenario that Trump doesn't win Iowa? I mean, it's a long way to the end. I mean, yeah. a lot of things can happen. We've got well, does he have a twenty or thirty point lead there? Right. He's got a, it, it's an almost insurmountable lead. But can something happen? I mean, DeSantis <laughs> is in Iowa today. He's trying chip uh, it away. Yeah, officially, formally launching his campaign, not in the glitchy Twitter kind of way that he did last week. But but I mean, I, I think it's um. I mean, there there's a projection out there. I mean, Haley told me about this that if Trump loses Iowa, New Hampshire, or South Carolina. That, that he begins to try and figure out a way to be an, an endorser of Ron DeSantis. In other words, the legacy of Trump can be, if he chooses, I mean, this is his decision, yeah. not mine. I mean, he's the prohibitive favorite. You said it. Oh, I'll agree. Yeah. I mean, he's, the, he's the prohibitive favorite to win the primary. But if something happens in Iowa, New Hampshire, or South Carolina that DeSantis does catch fire, Trump could be the ultimate kingmaker. I mean, he could be a kingmaker unlike sure. any sense that Andrew Jackson. Sense. If, if he chose to be, if he wanted to go down. That route. Anyway, the other thing is Trump versus DeSantis. Trump, you're only going to get four more years. And DeSantis, there's the option for possibly eight years if things work out. You start to look at the Supreme Court. You know, some of these individuals, I might make it four years. A lot of them aren't going to make it eight years. And so, yeah, yeah, maybe as a backstop, uh, having a, a, not a sure thing, but a a higher chance for a Republican in there for eight years instead of four. But will will the Trump voter support a Republican nominee who's not not named Donald Trump? We may may find that out, but I I, I would not think a lot of them might stay at home. They they wouldn't vote for Biden. A lot would maybe hold their nose in the end. But it's going to take some convincing. And if it it gets close and Trump gets clipped in the end, you know, it comes down to like some of the final primaries— you know, when it's because of the, the Republican primary in California that DeSantis goes over the top, I think that could leave a bad taste 
in a lot of people's mouth. Heaven help the Republicans. Heaven help the conservatives if DeSantis gets this and Trump decides to run as a third party. Then you, 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 you guarantee it to Biden at that point. Because the one thing DeSantis has to do is run against Trump, but not the Trump not. supporters. Yeah, it's a good— I mean, he's a, got yeah. to run against Trump. I mean, he, he can't be a clone. He can't be Trump 2.0. He can't be Trump-liked. Yeah. I mean, he's got to be a contrast to Trump, but he can't offend that yeah. Trump voter because, I mean, he'll need them yeah. back in the in the general. And again, we set up— I don't. He's not going to deliver a knockout blow early on. He's got to kind of go— go the distance he's probably not he's not going to win in iowa not going to win in new hampshire maybe it's he's, he's got a puncher's chance here in south carolina but trump isn't going away anytime soon so so what i mean do you believe any of the legal peril that trump faces down the road do you, i mean you're, you're you're i mean we don't yeah. know i mean that's, yeah. that's what's crazy the answer should be emphatically of course <laughs> but of course if, if the guy's charged with a crime He's off the ballot. He has no chance to win. We're not so damn sure with Trump. I mean, I, I'll well, tell it's not you this. just that. It's the nature of the witch hunt crime, I mean, if you believe You're right. That. But, but, but the better question about Trump to Dr. Bolt would be this. You ready? I mean, Dr. Bolt's an academic. So, so but these are silly questions. <laughs> so if Trump goes to jail, is it more or less likely <laughs> that he wins the nomination? I mean, literally, that's where we are today. There could be, I mean, if, if Las Vegas is, I mean, I think London, London allows bookmaking on presidential elections in America. <laughs> we don't do that here because we're so virtuous in America. <laughs> w- w- you know, the, the, the Yanks in Great Britain do that. But, but I'm serious. If Trump were formally charged with a crime and indicted of a crime, the odds makers in London would probably increase the likelihood that he yeah. wins the Republican primary. Well, just how awesome would that be seeing Trump inaugurated in an orange jumpsuit in a, in a cell in lower Manhattan? You know, the chief justice kind of going down there to going through a metal detector, <laughs> you know, giving it to him <laughs> that way. I, I, but I, all kidding aside, though, I think there is almost something uh, in it. A lot of people would say, a lot of Democrats, I'm going to vote for the felon. I'm going to vote for the guy <laughs> in jail just so I can say I, I, I've done it. And so, yeah, he'd pick up a lot of votes. That way, I would think it's crazy, but yeah. the, the answer should be, of course not. I mean, if a guy right. gets charged with a crime, he's off the ticket. I mean, he has no chance to win uh, the election. But we so, and maybe that's the legacy of Trump. The, you know, I don't want to say endearing legacy, or but but the enduring legacy of Trump will be the fact that he has so changed what is accepted politics. or normal yeah. in American politics, very much in the way Andrew Jackson did. Right. And I'm not doing that the the pet uh, no. bolt on the back, <laughs> but I mean, he, Jackson was a. I mean, it transformed what was acceptable or not in early American Introduced politics. Introduced a little chaos, yeah, and that's what Trump. Anyway, the the point is, and we, we've all we've all been guilty of this. Don't underestimate Donald Trump. How many times have we counted him out? So I I I don't do it anymore until he officially, even if he says he's not running, I'm I'm not sure <laughs> I'll believe it. People could still write him in, and he could still get some votes. So until he's really really steps off the stage, only then will I say that the the era of Trump is over. I think the odds today of Trump becoming president of the United States are 50-50. I don't think they're better than 50-50. I don't think they're worse than 50-50. I mean, if you went down some spreadsheet and, you know, a real detailed analysis, I mean, it'd probably be 52-48-4 or against. Yeah, but but just my, my gut instinct tells me that as we sit today at 844 on a Tuesday morning, Trump's likelihood or not of becoming president of the United States is somewhere around 50-50. I'll try to pull some of the London bookmakers to see what they'll say. Because, I mean, they, you know, they, they don't care. I mean, they, they're all about, you know, do you want to bet it or not? 
here are the odds. Do you want to put your money down on this candidate or that candidate or not? And it's just, I mean, it's surreal that we've got a candidate already um, indicted of a crime facing some sort of, um, you know, investigation on other crimes, and it doesn't seem to harm him at all. None. Zero. It helps him. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt (laughs) about it. And and once again, I think if um, if if a Democrat DA, were yeah. to charge Trump with another crime <laughs> is a bad day for Ron DeSantis. <laughs> yeah, it's a good way to, <laughs> not, not a bad day. Politics. Yeah. Yeah. When did the polls change? I mean, DeSantis was coming on and leading Trump in these primary early polls way back. before the Manhattan DA and before these these latest charges, I guess, were filed, right? And um, well, I mean, I, I that think kind of changed the trajectory. The, of the worst polling. thing to happen to DeSantis to me is the Durham report. Yeah, I mean, the Durham report confirmed. In other words, if you are somebody, I mean, Rev's a Trump supporter. I'm a Trump supporter, but I'm a little bit like, let's, let's, let's let some you of this win. play itself out. Yeah, let's watch some of this play itself <laughs> out. The Durham report almost turned me into a hard Trump. <laughs> I mean, it really and truly did, because it's obvious the FBI conspired with the Clinton campaign to try to affect the outcome of a presidential election. Thank you, Dr. Bolt. Hey, good stuff, guys. Appreciate Thanks. your time. And I'm, I mean this sincerely. You ready? He's got his Rocky Top shirt on. Good luck to the Tennessee Volunteers this weekend oh, in you. college baseball. Good luck <laughs> to the Volunteers this weekend in college baseball. We'll take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. 843-661-0937. We think tentatively scheduled tomorrow at 7.05. Congressman Ralph Norman of the Rock Hill area will be with us um, to explain his disgruntlement about the way the um, the debt ceiling negotiations have gone. Ralph was very complimentary. Um, excuse me, Congressman Norman was very complimentary of um, of Kevin McCarthy's work in regards to negotiating on behalf of the Republicans. Doesn't seem to be quite as complimentary um, today. It, it's hard for me to believe that you go from one five to four trillion in um, in raising the debt ceiling, and you. I mean, you got some concessions, but it's not anywhere near. I mean, you're serious about the debt then this is a failure. This is an abject failure because you're agreeing to add, you're agreeing to give the government authority to add $4 trillion more dollars to the federal debt without ever having to deal with the debt ceiling again. And that's just, I mean, that, to me, that's absurd and, and insane. And I would argue politically irresponsible. Now, I understand there's negotiations here and one side doesn't get all they want. The other side doesn't get um, everything they want. But to raise the debt ceiling by four trillion dollars and not even get as part of welfare reform um you know include medicaid that's the driver of welfare i mean medicare and social security are entitlements but they're not welfare i mean you pay into medicare you pay into social security we can argue about the spending curve and the models and the actuaries um and i've tried to explain where i stand as best i know how but medicaid is a welfare program I mean, it is the biggest welfare program in all of humanity. And to not be allowed to include some Medicaid reform, and I'm talking about work requirements. In other words, some of the welfare components you've got, it's required that you demonstrate a willingness to go to work or having gone um, to work, but it excludes Medicaid. So if, you, if, if Medicaid is the driver of the debt, we're trying to deal with debt, why wouldn't you force the worker requirements on on Medicaid, I guess it's inhumane to ask someone to go to work or to consider going to work when they're impoverished and can't afford um, their own health care. That's just kind of a bizarre argument to make, but it seems to me 
that that's one of the um, one of the sticking points. The other is the eighty billion that was um, allocated for the IRS. The Democrats have agreed to take back ten billion of that eighty billion. Um, yippee! Um, <laughs> so the IRS only gets seventy billion. See why that bothers me is, is it wasn't as much about the money as it is the kind of empowering the IRS to go against you know the people. Well, I mean, and, I'm, and I'm against you know the IRS and, and income taxes in general anyway. Uh, but you know it's kind of like that doesn't even. I mean, ten billion dollars is not a lot of money to the government, but it doesn't address the fact that. It still kind of endorses the plan to make the IRS stronger. But 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 the oddity, bully. The, the oddity of all this is the money. I mean, the belief that government doesn't have m- enough money to do what they're charged with doing. That's the oddity here. I tried to do a lot of reading over the weekend. Once again, the weather sucked, and um and you know I stayed inside a good bit and um and and read a lot of what we've talked about. I want to make sure we're kind of aligning ourselves to get the July the fourth. I mean, I, I told you post Memorial Day. I mean, this is the day after Memorial Day. People are traveling. People are taking vacations. Kids are out of school. Our audience is is probably not what it was prior to um, last. It, hold on to that. Back in a few. Takes Tuesdays to make Fridays. 843-661-0937. That song reminds me of the question we posed to our listeners previously. The greatest American rock and roll band ever is whom? American the greatest American, American rock and roll band ever. I mean, I think we've kind of agreed that the Secretariat in Seattle slew of rock and roll bands is the Rolling, Rolling Stones, Stones or the Beatles, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I, I, to me, that's kind of inarguable. I mean, it's hard to argue that. I mean, it, it's hard to argue. I mean, the Beatles did what they did in the brief period of time they were together, and then the unfortunate death of John Lennon, obviously. I mean, if they were going to do what the Eagles did, and get back together later in life. And I don't think they would, because I think Lennon's just a uh, a complicated creature, to say the least. Um, and, and obviously, and the Stones Beatles and have Stones aren't American. Correct. I mean, they, they're, you know, they're the Brits. Um, but, but the greatest American rock and roll band, and I read an article several years back that made a solid case for CCR. I mean, when you think of the greatest American rock and roll band, well, I mean, okay, I'll do this. I'll do what what I thought about after I read the article. Name a, an American rock and roll band better than CCR. I mean, is Fleetwood Mac better than CCR? Eagles. Well, that that would be a yeah. Okay, that's fair. That that that's a very legitimate response there. Um, and Elvis in the band, right? right? I mean, he was a kind of a freak of nature. Uh, Elvis might have been a bit supernatural, <laughs> <laughs> in all honesty. But um. So, so Fleetwood Mac, I mean, is, are they a bigger band? I mean, obviously CCR broke up because John Fogarty had a falling out with the manager. And anyway, uh, it's a complicated story. It's an interesting documentary out there about uh, Credence Clearwater Revival See, I don't even and their consider, demise. And we've had this conversation before, and people in, in the building here made fun of me when I said I'm not a fan of CCR. So I look at it through through those glasses just never really enjoyed their music but, but so you, it's not it's so foreign to but, me okay, to even but, talk about them as being the best rock and american rock and roll band in history but but i but, just can't even wrap my arms be, around but but to be a great debater and, and i want you to be a great debater <laughs> to be a great debater you have to debate things you're not interested in right i get it i mean the great debaters can debate things they're not interested in yeah because you can teach me something well, I, I can I'm learn not saying from, i'm going to teach you anything well if you're gonna no, do, you're be an effective you, debater i owe you from the all the work you did 
um, on behalf of me and, and cable television and streaming and all these you're, you're other welcome. sorts of things. Ref, save me a good bit of money uh, or help good. me save hey, cut me in a, on good, that deal. a good bit of money. Yeah, cut me in on that deal. Um, I don't know how to cut you in on that deal other than – let me say that again. I don't know how to cut you in on that deal unless you your house qualified you know, with this 5G right, network. Right. So explain to our, our, our late risers, our Democrats who – you know, get up much later than the mm-hmm. conservative Republican does. Explain what's happening in the world of internet as you understand it, because I don't think you were well aware and, of and what was going on until I, I said I, I called Rev one day. I said I may have been in the studio one day. He walks in. I said, "Hey, let me ask you a question. I'm fed up with this company that I have to deal with that monopolizes uh, the home internet, and I've got an email from my cell phone provider." that says I qualify or potentially qualify for a much better deal, but I don't want to, I don't want to go down in service. I mean, I don't want to get down in quality of, I mean, you know, I stream a lot and I watch, uh, you know, other than sports, I don't, I don't watch a lot of television. I watch a lot of sports. I watch Fox and, and CNN to prepare for the radio show, but, but, you know, streaming Revit explains streaming to me. Um, yeah. Cutting I, the cord is something we've talked yeah, about a s- lot. several years back. Yeah. And we're talking about, you know, um, but you have to have reliable well, I mean, internet. Disney's shopping ESPN. We call it cord cutting. I mean, the the, the projected revenue that Disney had um, kind of banked on for ESPN is significantly less. So Disney says, okay, um, maybe that's not our best investment. Maybe you know we we've got capital. Maybe we invest the capital in you know the electron Center for president uh, campaign. <laughs> Say that's somewhat tug in cheek. I doubt that would be uh, where they make investments. But but I'd been paying. I mean, I, you know, I'll, I'll just keep that number to myself. I'd been paying a lot of money, I thought, for cable and internet. And I'm one of these that doesn't pay attention, don't 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 pay attention, and go spastic. Right. Uh, you, you know, I, I'm like. And they tend to sneak it up on you sure. sometimes, too. And, and one yeah. of these days, you look at the bill. You have a problem. Look at the bill and go, what? The hell are they doing? You know, I mean, well, that I, promotion I'm, ended two years ago. Yeah. That's why you, that's where your bill went but, up. But you've told me you got to tend to it. I mean, you got to pay no, attention to, your, to. to those bills. Cell phone bill would be the same way. Um, the plan you thought you had changed, and there's another plan that you signed up for when you entered into the um, the agreement, the user agreement. You don't know that you did, but you did. Um, we can raise your rate anytime we choose. We can cut your service anytime we choose. It's kind of the uh, the lingo uh, when you sign those um, disclosure agreements, contract agreements so rev started telling me about streaming and he came in here one day a couple of weeks back and i said let me tell you something i got an email from my cell phone cell phone provider explaining to me that they've got this 5g network that will allow me to get you know uh wireless internet in my home for 25 dollars a month that can't be rev that's got there's got to be some catch there so i asked rev i said go online and look and see what you say and you went online I did. Now, I have to be clear that you now have more experience with 5G than I do because you have done a lot of research and you're making some moves with your personal Internet provider. But the way I understand it, 5G is the new cellular technology that the cell companies are using. And uh, the one in particular we've been talking about is using uh, their 5G network to connect you to Internet. In other words, you drop a box in your house. Uh, that connects through the cellular network. Now, no, no coaxial cable. Not at all. It's 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 all wireless. Now, 5G is the newest technology, and it has tremendous bandwidth and tremendous reliability. What does that mean, tremendous bandwidth? Well, it's more. I mean, break that down a little. Well, bit. bandwidth is the size of the pipe. You know how how much data can you fit through a pipe? If you remember back in the dial-up days, 
Did you ever dial up internet? Yeah, I sure thing? did. Okay, so that that was a very small pipe over the phone lines, like fifty six k. And now, you know, typically if you have home internet service, you know, through the uh, wired provider, we'll say it may be you know two hundred or three hundred megabytes. And then some of these five G speeds, I understand, if you are certain distance from the tower, can get up to a, a gigabit, which is, I mean, obviously, it's a billion. Oh yeah, it's very very fast. And that there's a lot of data that can travel on that size pipe. But they, they've made the reliability. And, and like you had pointed out, not all addresses work. You have to be so close to the tower because the 5G signals aren't reliable as far out as some of the other signals that, that are. That surprise you? No, I mean, based on what I've read. No, it doesn't, it's just different frequencies or whatever. Uh, but it, I think by the fact if you have, you know, where you stay is in a, a an approved area that provides that service, then you can be pretty well guaranteed that it is reliable and fast, and it will be, uh, you know, a, a good, reliable replacement for what you use. And so I, I certainly believe that. So if you are someone with a box and a coax cable, a modem and a coax cable, and you're paying 80 or 90 or 100 bucks a month, and along comes something with, uh, it's still a box, but it's no cable, mm-hmm. there, there's no hard connection, but it's $25 a month. Well, that's a no-brainer, isn't it? It is. And I think you're making a good move. Except they're building the network. The network is under construction. They admit that much. I mean, it's Verizon is who it is. I mean, that's my cell phone provider. And I get an email a couple of weeks back saying, hey, you qualify for a wireless internet, uh, $25 a month. And I'm going like, there's got to be some gimmick here. I mean, th- th- you know, no- nobody saves money anymore. I mean, if you're paying 100 bucks for something and they tell you you can get it for $25, th- 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 there's something in there. I mean, and there may be. And I just hadn't figured it out yet. But um, but I've done the math, and I'll be interested in your experience well, I mean, to hear if it's reliable. And, and if they're adding a hundred thousand homes per day, that's nationally now. They're building this big five G network, and Rev knows that much better than I. But they're they're adding about a hundred thousand homes daily across the country. So I mean, that's what two thousand homes in South Carolina per day. I mean, I'm saying fifty states divided by. I mean, I know it doesn't work out exactly that way, but there are probably more homes being added in New York than there is in Montana. I mean, I get that. But, but I'm just, you know, back a napkin real quick. If they're adding a couple of 3,000 homes in South Carolina per day, I got to believe that your home will qualify quickly. Mm-hmm. Some other homes will qualify quickly. And, um, I mean, this is Public Service 101. If you think you're spending too much money on television, you are if you've got a box and coax cables. I, I, that, that's where I've landed. I mean, I don't understand the gigabytes, and uh, like, like Rev explains it, I don't understand any of that. I do understand that that new technology does not consist of a box or, or coax cable. Right, Rev? That's so if right. you've got boxes and coax cables and you qualify, I think there's substantial savings, and it's really competition to the marketplace. There's substantial savings by considering, and I'm not working for Verizon. Please understand, and I would imagine they're not the only cell phone provider building a 5G network. They've just made pretty big investments in our um, coverage area you know, go 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 to here. I am. Nobody's paying me to do this. Go to, but I despise the other company so much. Go, go to, go to. Oh, you nod your head. You did too. Um, go, go to Verizon Wireless Internet. That there's a tab you can punch in, or you can mash in your address, and it shows whether you qualify or not. Um, I've, I've had people tell you they do. I've had people um say they don't. If you're not a Verizon customer, I think it's fifty bucks a month. But fifty still half of you know, nearly a hundred bucks and you don't have a box. Well, you do have a box, but you don't have all these wireless, excuse me, all this um 
coax cable and box on televisions. Um, it seems to me that streaming and 5G network is the way to go if you're going to try and save a buck or two or three. But we've had on, this, um, this cord cutting uh, discuss, discussion many, many times as far as. But you know, we're not getting, the only ones. I mean, there's hundreds of thousands oh, yeah. of people every year. And the, the streaming providers, you know, whether it's, you know, the big ones, YouTube TV and Hulu Live. I mean, they've all kind of, uh, and there's a lot of them out there and more of them coming out every day. How are they that much cheaper? Let me ask you that. How, how can, I mean, how can you get the uh, the wireless internet from YouTube, excuse me, the wireless internet from Verizon and the TV package from YouTube and it be that much cheaper? Man, I mean, let's say the Spectrum. I mean, it, it's well, it's half the price. Yeah. Well. Is it the technology that's cheaper? Is it the hardware that costs that much more money? Well, think about it. So YouTube, all you're doing is subscribing to a service. If you have your internet access, that's all you need, right? So they did not spend the money to build the infrastructure and bury cables into every house and string them through the, you know, off the telephone poles or whatever. Um, so that probably, I think programming is still expensive and that's why the price keeps going up and these, you know, they, they add channels and drop channels. And we talked about the, the issue with the regional sports networks, you know, the, the, the Bally sports network is not on YouTube TV because they had a conflict and couldn't come to an agreement. So if you're a Braves fan and you can't, Watch the Braves on YouTube TV, and that's a travesty. I'll just keep up with the Braves through you and save that twelve ninety nine per month. <laughs> and, and to be totally, since we're having the discussion up front and honest, the first time I cut the cord, I got rid of my Spectrum boxes and went to Hulu Live, uh, which had some of the channels that I wanted, including, at the time, it was the Fox Sports Regional Networks before they renamed them, I guess sold the sponsorship and named them to Bally. Um, but then they had that uh, that issue in negotiations. A contract dispute. Right. And 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 Bally Sports went away from Hulu Live, went away from YouTube TV. The only way you could get that, uh, get those channels, was through Spectrum. So I signed back up with Spectrum, but just watching their online app. I didn't get the boxes and the cable hookups again. It was just the app, and that's that's what I use now. Josh, a, a young guy, but j- jump in here. I mean, you're, you're the young buck. I mean, do, do you? I mean, streaming is normal to you, right? Yeah. I mean, you don't you don't have cable boxes and coaxial cables and all that good stuff. That's right. And I actually was going to ask Rev because I was a little confused. Do you still have a modem and router? That's not what you're talking about. Uh, I have, yeah, I have a modem. Okay. I, I have a internet service, and then I actually uh, bought a, an, a, an additional router. It's called a mesh system for the house. It has the multiple, multiple ports where you can put a repeater into the different rooms to make sure that we had, you know, ample coverage. By okay. The but Josh, by the end of the day today, I won't have a router. I mean, I won't mm. have a modem. Maybe it's a router. Yeah, that's well, that that box. Your your what is that called? Wireless box. I mean, is that is that a router? It's it's. Yeah, I mean, because it is routing your Wi-Fi traffic to their network. But so, it's not a modem in the traditional sense that we become accustomed uh, to a modem having a coax cable come out of the wall into the back of this. Right. Look, I have no idea how great this is going to be. I know it's cheaper, and I'm hoping it's greater because greater and cheaper is good in my <laughs> book and good in most people's book, uh, for that matter. And, and you know, th- these are personal things that all of us deal with. I got to believe, remember the healthcare journey I went yeah, on? And this is not a commercial or an no, no, endorsement. No, no, not, not at all. We're just sitting here having a discussion about, a, you know. But I mean, we, we all believe, I, mean, I say we all, most of us believe we're paying too much for healthcare or health insurance. Well, healthcare. I mean, we believe we're paying too much for health insurance, too much for healthcare. And, and when I talk about the the, the, the travels, the travails of um, looking for better health insurance options, I just got to believe there are a lot of people in my boat when it comes to television. You know, I'm watching four channels. And I'm paying $250 a month to have Wi-Fi 
and and this bundled television package. And and I've done the math, and just I mean I don't want to go through the numbers, but but it's less than half. Of the, the you know the combination of streaming television, Hulu and YouTube are the most prominent, I guess. Um, but but the streaming and this 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 Verizon option saves me. I mean, I was paying more than double what I will be paying to have, I hope, at least equal um, quality and and access to programming and all these other sorts of things. We'll know this afternoon. Um, w- one of my kids has agreed to come over this afternoon and help Daddy hook something up because <laughs> they know Daddy ain't real good at hooking things up. Good. Let's go to the phone. Someone's and, there. And, and by the way, I can't wait to hear the reports. Well, I mean, so I'll be learning something. Well, too. I mean, you've helped me. You've helped me understand if this was a worthwhile endeavor or not. And I think you kind of, um, I mean, you went to the website and looked at some of the, um, so, some of the methodologies mm-hmm. of delivery and you said, yeah, I mean, that's, that's legit. I mean, yeah. if, if they've got you close enough to a 5G tower, uh, that technology is, I mean, I think you said that technology is probably better than the former technology because yeah. of the, the bandwidth yeah, and the right. capacity and speed and whatnot. So it'll be, it'll be very interesting. And, and once again, Verizon says to me, they're, they're, they're constantly developing this 5G infrastructure and houses will become or addresses will become more available and more available and more available. And I mean, if I, if I can save a buck and help you save a buck, I mean, I love you because you're the reason I'm allowed to do this crazy job every day. So if I'm saving money and not enlightening you on how you could potentially saving money, I'm not the radio show host that, that I should be. 843-661-0937. We'll take a break. I know we got a call. For, forgive the um the money saving rant, <laughs> but we'll be back. Or the potential we don't know the potential money saving rant. We'll be back in just a few moments. Four three six six one oh nine three seven. Nothing more confusing than someone who doesn't understand what they're trying to explain. Trying to explain it. I mean that that's the ultimate of confusion. A guy with a radio <laughs> show talking about technology when he accepts that he knows very little about technology. I called Rev twice Saturday. This thing ain't working. <laughs> I mean, this thing's not working. I mean, it, you know, this 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 Roku you told me to get sucks. I should have never got it. <laughs> well, first it wouldn't orient right on the back of your yeah. TV. Anyway, we finally got it established that um I didn't know what I was doing, but I didn't want to pay someone. I'm bad about not wanting to pay someone to do something. I think I can do C- myself. Call me, it's free. Yeah, call Rev. Rev's the um Rev's the Geek Squad. Yeah, let me give you his number. Don't call uh, him the Geek Squad. Call Rev. Right, right. He can uh, help you. Let's go to the phone. Nick in Lexington. Good morning, Nick. You're on the air. Ken, I just want you to report on one thing. Will it work at Williams Bryce Tailgate? The uh, uh, let, let me tell you this, Nick. So we do YouTube television at our tailgate, and my son uses his phone as the hotspot. So I went to Verizon yesterday at the beach, and kind of um, I mean the guy was very helpful, extremely helpful, and uh, I talked to a guy from India for an hour. And I finally concluded, I'm from Pamplico, you're from India, you don't understand me, I don't understand you, no disrespect, but I'm going to the store. Anyway, he asked me, he said, so why does this number have this data package? And I said, I don't know. And then I said, other than, that's the phone we use as our hotspot when we stream at our tailgate. He said, okay, that makes sense. So, so yeah, I mean, it, I don't know if this wireless or this 5K network works. Um, 5G. 5G network. I say 5K. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's 4K. 5G. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah, I know that now. See, but but Nick, I don't. I don't know. I don't, I don't even know if this thing works. I'll, I'll have a, a live and in living color report tomorrow morning. I just know. I mean, I'll give you the numbers. I, I know between 
uh, the, the place in Florence, the place at the beach, I was paying about $485 a month for internet and cable. Now, but those are real numbers. $485 per month for internet and cable in two houses. That $485 turns into $185. Now, but that's $300 in savings. And in my world, that's a lot of money. Mm-mm-mm. Like I said, I want to know if, it, if you can take it to the tailgate. Okay, fair enough. I will let you know that. I will report back um, after the first football. Not Charlotte. I think they opened in North Carolina at North Carolina or against North Carolina in Charlotte. Thank you, Nick. Appreciate that that call. And I don't know if it works at uh, my home address. I mean, I've not plugged it up yet. Right. I got it sitting on the uh, on the coffee table. We'll plug it up this afternoon and see how that works. But I mean, that that's substantial savings. And I'm not here to beat up on one company. Or, or another, but if there's a, a newer and better way to do something, and in essence, cheaper. I don't I don't put words in, and I don't put, I don't want to put words in Rev's mouth, but Rev led me to believe that the way I was doing things was a bit antiquated, and the way I'm deciding to do things is is more modern and obviously uh, more cost efficient. Let's go to the phone, David in the PD. Good morning, David. Hey, you got a good business opportunity here, man. Uh, I guess help, Daddy. Uh, yeah, not only are you, uh, you're pre-Wi-Fi, you're pre-cable. You're like myself, man. I remember back in the day getting on the roof, trying to get that antenna just right. Uh, but getting back to what you started with earlier in the show, man, um, I believe you said Ivy League educated New York, Boston. And it's amazing how that concept, and, and look at the industries they have up there, finance, media, uh, Boston is colleges. Uh, so those folks, their mindset, they don't think about Pamplico. They're global citizens. That's their mindset. And when you get back to education, and, and, and I think about these case studies at these marketing schools, maybe at Yale or Harvard, they're probably going back to the day. You remember this. When you were a young buck, you remember the Swedish bikini team? I do. You sure do. And they were trying to, some form or fashion, resuscitate uh, old Milwaukee beer. But in a lot of ways, I look at all what's going on now. We're apologizing to all these European countries. We're trying to make them happy. Uh, they don't care about the United States anymore. So it's almost like, hey, we shouldn't have done that back in the day. But your wealthy world globalists, man, they have outsourced your livelihood, and they are forsaken the American working class. That should be everybody's motto. Have a good day. Thank you, David. Well, I mean, if you're if you're a large force in America, and you don't care much for the American way, I mean, kind of stew on that for a second. I mean, I know that's a weird way to express uh, the the concept, but there there's an American way. Let, let's use beer for an example. I mean, let, let's say historically, beer companies have used pretty women to market their beer. Why? Because they know the majority of beer drinkers, not all, but the majority of beer drinkers are heterosexual males. That's the American way. You, 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 you gain favor by the consumer by marketing your product in a way that enhances your opportunity to be successful. That's the American way. That's the market. That's capitalism 101. Well, all of a sudden, if you are, you know, if you are offended by the American way, then you've got to create another way, right? I mean, the American way is to hire a male, a heterosexual male, as the head of branding and marketing at Bud Light. Why? Because he understands who's drinking your beer. 
I mean, he understands the NASCAR fan, the college football fan, uh, the guy that sits on the beach and listens to the Eagles. I mean, he understands that guy. Uh, that's his customer. Uh, but that's the only reason that companies existed in excess of 100 years. If you take the heterosexual white male out of the world, beer companies go broke, right? So, so, so the last person you want to offend is the heterosexual white male, unless you don't buy into the American way, unless you believe that, you know, we've gotten more sophisticated, more complicated, more virtuous, uh, more integrity, more diverse, more, more equality, all these things that, that, you know, we want the American system to be consistent of or consisting of, and I'm talking about equality and diversity and inclusion. I mean, who doesn't want that? I mean, if you're, if you're selling a product, why, why wouldn't you want to sell it to a diverse audience, to a, to a uh, you know, an equitable audience or an inclusive audience? Of course. I mean, I want to sell beer. If I'm selling beer, you don't want to buy beer. I want heterosexual white males, heterosexual black males, uh, homosexual white females, homosexual black females. I mean, that, what they do is none of their business, right? I mean, drink my beer. I mean, if you've got a date with another woman, drink my beer. If you've got a date with another man, drink my beer. If you're going to a football game, drink my beer. If you're going to the symphony, drink my beer. I mean, I'm in the, I'm in the business of selling beer. But, but the American way historically has been kind of a, a targeting of an audience. R- remember the Hardee's commercials of the pretty scantily clad females dancing on the cars? Got a buddy of mine who owns some Hardee's. You know what he said? Hamburgers flying out the door. <laughs> <laughs> he said, man, I didn't much approve of that ad because I go to a Baptist church. But I'd be damned if we weren't selling more hamburgers than we ever had in our lives. Well, I mean, you know, Joe Blow is a consumer of fast food. But, 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 but how, do you, how do you embrace the American way if you don't believe it? I mean, if instead of the American way, you'd rather see kind of a social awareness uh, on command. I'm talking about we demand of consumers. We demand of companies to obligate themselves to these governing theories, these economic theories. And I think that's what's happening. I don't know how that decision was made at Target. I don't have any idea how that decision was made at North Face or at MBEV. But I don't buy into this mindset of it's, uh, you know, these human resource and marketing firms are mostly liberal. You don't make a decision to offend heterosexual white males in the consumption of your beer unless somebody at a high level understands it and makes a call. And I stand by my comments that, that, you know, the people that are paying the biggest price are not you choosing a different beer. The people paying the biggest price are the people in these local communities trying to sell that beer that somebody in La La Land made some, you know, um, financial and business calculus that makes no sense at all. Now, now other than did somebody at BlackRock, and this is total speculation, and this would go, I mean, this would be conspiracy theory 101. Did somebody at BlackRock suggest as strongly as they could to somebody at Target to put at the front of their businesses, you know, um, breast-binding swimsuits and and other, you know, female sw- swimsuits designed for females but have uh, kind of a, um, a tuck component. You know, um, you can make some arrangements down there that women <laughs> normally wouldn't have to have to make. You ever watched a baseball game? All the adjusting that goes on during a baseball game? <laughs> right. Well, you wouldn't have to adjust because it would be, you know, everything would be tucked away neatly and, and, and discreetly, and that's the end of that, right? Sounds like a great idea. Well, I mean, you see where I'm headed. <laughs> I know. Okay, but, but 
what what if somebody let's go let's go down this conspiracy let's go to the towns van zant uh blake uh blaze foley mm. place on the, this conspiracy theory <laughs> what is somebody at blackrock they own 8.5 percent of target about 40 million shares what if somebody at blackrock suggested to the board at target the ceo of target to buy into this you know th- this esg and at the front of every target there's a display and it's basically these transgender bathing suits it's a celebration of gender dysphoria. How is that good for business? Maybe somebody at BlackRock knew it was not going to be good for business. Maybe somebody at BlackRock knew that the the, the you know the everyday can the everyday customer of Target would say thank you but no thank you to that, and Target would lose two billion dollars in market share, that their stock value would decline by by billion and a half dollars. But what if somebody at BlackRock shorted the stock, and they made three and a half billion on shorting the stock? But is that where we are? I don't know. I don't have any idea. You have to consider that. We do believe that. It doesn't make common sense otherwise. Why do you offend your customers? Right. And how many potential customers need that uh, that tucking apparatus anyway, right? It would be an interesting question. Right. To to the the Florida lady at Target. Hey, how many of them breast-binding bathing suits you sold? How many of those um th- those female-designed swimsuits with that tucking arrangement, how many of those have you sold? How many, how many women and their daughters didn't come to Target today because of that? How many how many Sunday school classes had conversations, you know, Sunday morning about whether or not Target is doing God's work? I mean, I'm not being object. I mean, I'm not being judgmental. I mean, all of this is objective, or excuse me, subjective. I, I don't have any idea who's not going to Target, who is going to Target, who's not drinking Bud Light, who is drinking Bud Light, who's not, you know, buying North Face, who is buying North Face. I don't think I have any idea who the consumer of Target is. I mean, historically, it's been my wife and daughter. I can tell you what they said. They're not going back. Now, how long? I don't know. I don't have any idea. Um, I don't I don't have any idea who who walks in the North Face store in New York every day. I don't know. I got to believe it would probably lean toward outdoorsmen. It would lean toward people a little more fit than average. Is that fair, Rev? Well, I, I mean, wouldn't so. you say that? I mean, yeah. I, you know, I, I would expect those people or a little more uh, outdoorsy and, and you know, um, active th- than most people. Um, I doubt, I don't know why, I'm, 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 once again, I'm being judgmental. I doubt a lot of obese people go to North Face. I'm just guessing. I don't know that to be true. I'm just guessing that um, to be true. But, but I think we know historically the beer drinkers being a heterosexual white male. So, so as marketing and branding director of a beer company, you know, let, let's piss off all the heterosexual white men we can. I mean, where's the logic behind that? There is none. That There is absolutely none. And the one thing I want you to remember is the person working at the local beer distributorship is your neighbor. He's your friend. He, he, he's a member of the same community you are. His kid plays on the same baseball team. He is as angry and frustrated by that decision as you are. In fact, he's probably more angry. And more frustrated because your livelihood's not affected by a decision made at the corporate level may or may not having been influenced by Black Rock or Vanguard. All you do is switch beers, right? I mean, instead of buying this six-pack of beer, you buy that six-pack of beer. That's why I've been slow to pull the trigger. I mean, I, I, I don't know anybody affiliated with Target. I don't know anybody affiliated with the North Face. I do know a lot of people, a lot of good, decent, moral ethical people 
who contribute mightily to communities around this country that have historically had a pretty good reputation by selling a beer that America's enjoyed consuming. And, and something happened in their world that they had no control over. And that bothers me. I mean, that, that bothers me a great deal. Take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. 4-3-6-6-1-0-9-3-7 is our number. Sometimes you can talk yourself out of the obvious answer. I mean, you, there, there's an answer right before your very eyes, and you can complicate. I mean, I do this a lot. Um, why did this person lose their job? Well, you know, they're restructuring, and they're, you know, they're, they're reevaluating, and they're shipping uh, so many jobs to the East Coast and West Coast. Or it could be that, that he didn't come to work. You know, he missed one day a week, and he was late the other two days. You see where I'm headed? I mean, a lot of answers are obvious. It's just we try We live in this society, and, I, and I'm guilty of this. We like to outsmart one another. We like to come up with theories that nobody's thought of yet. Um, you know, reasons or insinuations that nobody's even considered yet. Uh, we pride ourselves on that. We reward those who come with, come up with um with, with the the concepts, the theoretical hypothetical concepts of what could be or might have been. When in reality, I've got a good friend of mine. Riff's heard this story before. I got a good friend of mine, and um and you know. <laughs> I was waiting on some elaborate answer one day. I mean, I asked him a question. I was waiting on this real elaborate answer. I mean, he's one of those guys real in tune, real connected, um, r- real politically savvy. And I asked him a question, and I was waiting on this elaborate, you know, um, just, just, I mean, I had my notepad, and I mean, I'm thinking about, man, I'm going to really write this answer down. He said, he took all that damn money. <laughs> Cause it was about this guy that had lost his job and he was taking, you know, replaced on this board. And I was waiting on this grandiose commentary. And my, and my friend said, he took all that damn money. I got caught <laughs> and he's right. I mean, you know, it didn't matter. Right. Nothing else mattered. I mean, he was, he was a part of an organization and he took all that damn money and got caught And You can't take all that damn money and get caught and expect to, to remain um, the same. Anyway, I, I don't understand it. I don't profess to understand it. Um, we try to debate it. We try to have dialogue and discussion about it over the air. Um, I'm a little more, I don't want to say sympathetic. I, I'm, yeah, I mean, sympathetic would be the word. I'm a little more sympathetic to Bud Light than I am to Target and to North Face because I have friends and neighbors and confidants and, and people that have been longtime friends of mine who are adversely affected, negative, negatively impacted by what, you know, a, um, uh, you know, a corporate board or corporate governance decided to do, um, you know, way up the food chain, far up the ladder. And um, and I had no idea until the story broke that Anheuser-Busch had a lot of its um, management and executive team in New York. I mean, I just assumed they were still in St. Louis because that's when I think of Anheuser-Busch. I think of the Clydesdales and the St. Louis Cardinals and Augustine Bush and the Bush family. It's It's kind of Americana, very nostalgic to me. And when I realized that they had moved a lot of that to New York City, I just kind of thought like, okay, okay. Did they really? Okay. Uh, you you got to stay in touch with your customer. I mean, you really and truly do. I think Rev and I have a, uh, a genuine understanding and appreciation of who you are. I mean, we look at our demos, the breakdowns. Now, it's not ironclad. I mean, we don't believe that the some of the metrics that we go by are exactly and precisely correct. But we know who you are. Um, we know what you believe by and large. And I'm talking about 
in general. I'm certainly not saying everybody believes this or everybody uh, believes that. We have a lot of different opinions. We debate some of those opinions here. But it's just interesting to me that some of the um, some of what I was taught in business to have mass appeal, to grow your consumer base. I mean, in truck bodies, what do you do? You try to find more people to buy truck bodies. Uh, it'd be like me saying farmers suck. Construct guys that own construction companies are racist and misogynist and bigoted uh, more than anybody else. Um, mechanics, you know, man, if the world could get rid of all the mechanics, we'd be a whole lot better off. Uh, why, why do you do that? I don't know. I mean, I don't have any idea, but but I do believe that. I mean, it, there's a little bit of this that I think comes into play. Um, you know, the um, the patriarch of the family built the business. You know, the kids saw the hard work it took to build the business. The grandkids saw some of the hard work it took to build the business. Uh, the business thrived and succeeded because the, you know, the the founder of the business stayed intimately involved. I mean, he he strongly demanded of the kids a certain work ethic and commitment. The grandkids, eh, you know, they did okay, but not quite as good. The great-grandkid um, strayed a little further from, you know, the um, the center of success. And eventually somebody runs a Corvette in the swimming pool at the Ritz-Carlton. And you know that's kind of the circle of uh, what what prosperity, the circle of what what are you confused about, Rev? Got a, okay. got a minute, one minute. Okay, one minute. Yep. Okay. Did we have a missed time over there? We had somewhat of a missed time. I did, yes. Okay. Good deal. Good deal. <laughs> did you, can you tell I had a confused look on my sure face? Sure, I can. I've what? sat with you for 11 years. Okay. I know when you're confused and not. <laughs> you hardly ever have that confused look unless I say something that you don't understand. You've had that look a lot with me, just not with the formatics of the show. The mm-hmm. one thing that has been um, predictable and consistent has been uh, the formatics. Of the, I do know this, believe it or not. I know that we start the music when there's 30 seconds. Right. We which, go is with the show. which is right now. Which is now. Okay. <laughs> yeah. See, I knew that. You didn't think I knew that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. I, I figured you I'll picked up attention. on that by I'll now. pay attention. I know when the music starts, we got 30 seconds to the heartbreak top of the hour, or in this case, uh, the end of the show. Programming note, real quick, we will not have a live show next Monday. Rev's got to go take care of some family matters, and I'll probably be hungover from drinking too much. Uh, but a lot. Enjoy. <laughs> oh, enjoy. Really? Enjoy your week. Excuse me. Enjoy today. We'll talk tomorrow.